Hello, welcome to episode 103 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast, a podcast about alternative music, hence the name. Riot Act. Don't know that would make sense. My name's my name's Stephen Hill. His name is Renfrey Deadman, and I've already got a genuine laugh out of you, Renfrey. What, yeah. what a time to be alive! Very, very good. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Riot Act. I mean, it instantly says alternative music. I mean, I suppose one day maybe it will. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Well, uh, that stage. That's what we. That's what we long for. That's what we long for. Renfrey. Yeah, that's what we long for. Um, thanks for tuning into the show. Pretty exciting show this week. We're going to be catching up on some of the bigger albums that we've missed over this last few months mm. um and we will be reviewing the latest releases from rena sawayama static x rufus wainwright mother vulture and laura marling plus in broken records we get fur 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 funky <laughs> with dd king's <laughs> debut album standing in the spotlight um i cannot wait just had... i cannot wait to talk about that just to say i i'm i yeah oh. what a joyful oh. record but we'll get on to that oh. yeah just cannot cannot wait to get deep into that madness anyway um if you are a patron go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast if you're thinking oh i'm not a patron why aren't they talking about me do that quickly <laughs> we, we can wait well done um we just put a brand new rioters review up this week just gone on angels and airwaves debut album why did we do that because we give you the opportunity to pick records so <laughs> don't blame us for the choices gotta, what i guess i'm saying gotta say though i mean you know i assumed that you uh, would not be happy about this but there's an awful lot of people being like great record love that record cannot believe it I guess I'm spoiling what we think of it a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, I would say. But um, crikey, mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah. for, for a wow. record for a record of that quality, it's getting an awful lot of love. But fair enough. If you if people get enjoyment out of it, then fair play to you. Madness. I just for the record, I don't think that. I think <laughs> the scum. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, just as an FYI. Um, this is a pretty special week for us, Renfrey, because if you're listening to this podcast on the Friday that it goes up, as it normally does, um, two days from now is our second birthday. It's been two years since we put our first ever show up. I know. How good is that? That's awesome. Birthday time. Two whole years. I normally last about two and a half years with every podcast that I've done. (laughs) So enjoy the next six months of me, guys, before something terrible happens uh, i'm sure i'm sure that won't happen mm. this time because you know there's no one above us to just cancel it and you know there's no kind of raging eno- oh, egomaniac careful, for me to careful, run away careful, from careful, careful, so careful. um it's our birthday week and we decided since normally last year what we did we did a kind of birthday special live extravaganza mm. due to the covid thing uh, which I'm sure you've heard about. Uh, we <laughs> we haven't been. <laughs> we haven't. Don't know. Have you heard about that? We're in a funny mood today, aren't we? Yeah. I think we're in a um, odd mood. Birthday week, isn't it? It's birthday so, week. It's, we, 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 yeah, I've had too much cake. I've been celebrating. Yeah. I've been celebrating my entire life with too much cake for this particular moment. That was a fat joke. Well, carry on. It was. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to laugh at them because oh, it feels mean. That's very sweet um, of you. It's all right. I made nah, it. It's okay. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, so starting Sunday, we are going to do a week of podcasts, a full-blown birthday week. We're going to give you a bunch of stuff starting on Sunday with something which is a big surprise. Mm. Basically, it will drop, whether you want it or not, <laughs> it will drop into your little podcast account 
and you'll think, oh, I never actually wanted this. Uh, we've taken inspiration from the actual... The artist in question. Artist that we are talking about. Mm. But because you haven't asked for it, but we're going to give it to you anyway, as our birthday present on our birthday to you. It's weird, isn't it? I that's don't really know a, that's how That's a great that clue. Makes sense. I almost feel yeah. like we should uh, put it up on Twitter. People can get, can guess what it might be, but that's actually quite a good clue. That's a relatively good clue. But anyway, yes, mm. something, something. So that secret. will that that will kickstart a week where you'll get a podcast every single day. On Monday, we are delighted for old school fans of the old school Metal Hammer podcast. We are delighted that the best host ever, <laughs> I, in my humble opinion, of the Metal Hammer podcast is back. We dug up Gil. Uh, James Gill, the former editor-in-chief of Metal Hammer magazine, who has moved away from rock music mm. and from London and uh, to Norwich, to go and live in Norwich. And I don't know what he does. He writes about mustard or something, I think. In the, he, he writes for like a whiskey Goodness magazine knows. now. Goodness knows. And he's basically a kind of gentrified gent up in Norwich, a kind of Alan Partridge. Yeah. But um, he's not listened to any rock music for about eight years it's safe to so, say his knowledge on the last eight years or so is is very slim to, uh, yeah. uh so yeah so we've given him eight albums from that eight year period that we think kind of define what happened to heavy metal um over that over that period of time that he was away and um we got gill's thoughts on those records and uh we gave him some quite surprising revelations i mean the moment i told him that sabaton played wembley <laughs> Obviously, this is an audio medium, so you wouldn't be able to see his face. But it was oh, fucking priceless was when we picture. went. Guess who played? Guess who played Wembley? And he was like, oh, I don't know, Sabaton. <laughs> and <he> went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, No, no. It's, they did. It's basically about two and a half hours of that. And I have to say, as someone who was an old school a fan of the old school Metal Hammer podcast, um, I've you know this is one of the few opportunities that I get to actually say something like this about something that we do. It was a fucking honor uh, being a part of it. It was. It was. I mean, I felt like i Thank you, i mate. was i Thank was you. there i was just mm. uh i felt like i was very much a spare wheel uh to a degree but just sitting back and um cackling with laughter as i often do on these shows anyway um but <laughs> it, it, it was an absolute joy to record that and uh yeah it's definitely for me it's one of the highlights of uh, all this coverage that we're doing so yeah it was yeah, good fun. it was loads and loads of fun. We also, we promised you ages and ages ago, two, about, about a year and a half ago, we promised you a special on covers mm. where Renfrey and I picked eight covers each. We've recorded that. That will be going out that week. And there will be, this is why you need to go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast. We picked two releases for Rioters reviews. Um, I picked... Renfrey Deadman by <laughs> Renfrey Deadman. Oh, no, 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 no. The the EP is called, uh, uh, oh, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. The EP is called I Tell My Guitar the Things I Used to Tell You. Uh, and we can go into that uh, yeah. uh, later. <laughs> well, when we, oh, when we do it. We will. Um, <laughs> and you picked the entire back catalogue of uh, UK hardcore legends Stegel, yes. which I happen to used to sing from. So yes. we'll be doing... Rioters reviews on our own bands. We are doing the most self-indulgent Rioters reviews ever. But we just figured it's our birthday. If, if we're ever going to do it, it's got to be for our birthday, haven't it? Hasn't it? It's the mm. only things we haven't recorded yet. But we have both said to each other that we uh, we take the right to rip the piss out of one another and the yeah. music that uh, we created 
years and years and years ago um and none of us are allowed to get offended about it so we uh <laughs> i mean yeah. i dread to although think inevitably I still will get offended by it. <laughs> I so, mean, I dread you know. to think about what you're going to say about some of my stuff, but <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that should be fun. Slash break up the podcast. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, breaking it up six months earlier than usual uh, <laughs> for me. And also, one thing we haven't done for a little while is merch. Uh, mm. If you go over to our website, riotactpodcast.com, um, we've got some merch up. Now, we were sort of thinking what little hilarious merch based ideas can we do? And I think you Renfrey put something on Twitter about, would you like bonjour based merch? Was that you? Was that your idea? Quite possibly. Maybe. I, I don't remember. I certainly don't want to take credit for the idea if it was someone else, but um, uh, it, it did come out of a, a sort of strange conversation where I, I think one of us was joking. Basically. I certain, certainly, mm. if I did say that it was certainly in a joking manner. And yet the response was um, incredibly positive. So we've decided to, we're going to try and do a line of bonjour mm. style merch for, well, let's just say the foreseeable future. I don't know how long it's going to last, but um, yeah, mm. it's hopefully going to be a line of um, whatever music you're into, you can get a bonjour based t-shirt stroke hoodie to go along with it. And the first one for you people who like me love deathcore and cats we have a Thy Art is Bonjour t-shirt, which is basically the Thy Art is Murder t-shirt with I am the poorest strain of hate written on the back as a big deathcore backprint. You know what? Lovely stuff. Steve came up with this idea. I mean, we've had this idea kicking around for a couple of months at least, I think. Mm. Um, and when I saw the design, I mean, I shit you not, when I saw the design that uh, the designer had put together, uh, it's perfect, isn't it? It's I yeah. I don't like deathcore. I will probably be getting one of these hoodies. I would have thought you like uh, Bonjour, though, don't you? So that's all right. Is you love Bonjour enough to wear the hoodie? Let's 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 finish this episode before we break up the podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah. Poor Bonjour. I've still got I've still got scars from the scratches she gave me. I've not even seen Bonjour for about four months, and uh, I still have scars. Mental scars, of course, not not physical scars. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, so there you go. That's our birthday week. That's all the stuff that's going to be happening. It's quite a quite a nice week a for lot, us. Um, yeah. Thanks very much for being part of it. Yes, uh, we should uh, just just quickly change. Just quickly, sorry, we couldn't do a show. Obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, one we'll do a live show again at some point. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's mm. we've just got to wait for things to calm the fuck down, haven't we? So so we're doing yeah, this instead. Much. Um, changing tact a little bit, uh, we should probably talk about Tim Smith from the Cardiacs. So Tim Smith, um, passed away on the 21st of July, um, which was yesterday, wasn't it? As we, or today, actually, as we were, I think he, I think he passed away yesterday and it was announced today as we record, mm. um, 12 years living with dystonia. Um, those of you who are fans will know, you know, about the, the kind of, um, the the health problems that he's had for the last decade or so and um uh, you know obviously a very very tragic thing to have happened um the cardiacs for those who aren't aware of them i mean i have to say i don't know that much about this band other than the fact that i know how hugely hugely influential and beloved they are by some massive bands i mean just as soon as you go on their wikipedia page you get Blur, Faith No More, Radiohead and Napalm Death thrown at you. 
yeah. as acts that they have influenced. I mean, you don't get much more diverse. I was going to say that. the range of that that influence mm. as well. Um, I was introduced to Cardiacs through um, the lovely Mike Venart, who I uh, who I uh, talk about a lot on the show because he's he was the frontman for my favourite British band of all time, Motion Size, and um, yeah, he told me to listen to Sing to God. Uh, which is, I think, "Sing to God" is probably considered their their classic. I would say certainly the the one to start on. Um, I say the one to start on. My goodness, I mean, it, the Cardiacs are a, a a difficult band to get into. Undoubtedly, they did, God, a mix of pop, psych, punk, prog, lots of p words, um, but uh, they they are a very unique individual band who um i i feel like i i've only just begun my own sort of cardiac's journey I'm, i mean certainly things like this do make you want to um to to get into their stuff a bit more as well but it feels like a kind of it's it's yeah it's just it's they they were an incredibly idiosyncratic uh unique band i think very very mm. difficult to emulate um but they had this massive influence on all these artists that you're just talking about. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's odd. I mean, just to kind of bring you, you said that, uh, sing to, I probably wouldn't be the person to ask what the kind of definitive cardiacs album is at all. But sing to God was a, um, the kind of comeback album, wasn't it? It was mm. after their, um, after their sort of hiatus. Yeah. Uh, and it's very rare that bands do that to write a record that people, you know, love so much. And I think it was actually pretty, it got a zero, I've seen it got a zero out of 10 in Vox when it was first released. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, I think that says quite a lot about a band who are, you know, a kind of a deeply beloved underground concern that people just, that happens a lot when people don't understand a type of music yeah. and for them to kind of be going you know 15 odd plus years and still to be completely misunderstood i think that to me seems like a really really exciting band i can't really Agreed. sit here and say to you a bit like you know when we spoke about andy gill when you were like i've not really listened to gang of four that much mm -hmm. and um it's just one of those names you know the cardiacs are definitely for me a name that i know without really knowing enough about them to be able to say what is good and what is bad but I just hear their name around so much that I sort of now I'm going, I wonder why I haven't, you know, it's taken me so long to listen to them. And it's made me definitely think that I need to listen to them. So I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are huge fans and can probably point us in, um, in the right direction. And even though I think both of us would probably admit to not being, um, you know, great chroniclers of the band's career. Mm. I think we appreciate, we appreciate, you know, uh, how much of an impact that tim would have had on some artists that we absolutely adore so certainly we needed to bring it up here and um rest in peace to that man who's done so much to to shape the the music that we talk about every week it's undoubtedly a excuse to um properly jump into the cardiac's career i mean it's, it's a it's a um it's a scary thing to do, you know, like I said, sing to God as far as I'm aware, sing to God is considered sort of one of the Oh, quote unquote easier ones and it's you know it's tricky mm. um but you know in terms of like uh i think i think in terms of influence not in terms of sound necessarily but in terms of influence we're talking about another kind of talk talk sort of band here yeah. in that they influence so many bands that don't even necessarily sound sonically like them but 
that's just the, the 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 breadth of influence and the breadth of people who have taken influence from that band is insurmountable mm-hmm. so there you go sad news and also sad news to hear that after 34 years uh q magazine will cease to exist um the last issue uh is going to be published on the 28th of july will will be released i think if you're a subscriber you've already got it um but the 28th of july issue is going to be the last issue of q magazine that's 415 issues of of q magazine that have come out um again another casualty of the covid19 crisis um another nail in the coffin for printed music journalism and print Mm. media in general Mm. um it's not a lot of positives to be taken from hearing this news really is there it's really sad um maybe maybe inevitable which is sad to say but it is really 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 sad to hear i mean alex petridis from um the guardian said that q magazine's demise signals the end of the old music press um I kind of understand I kind of understand where he's coming from certainly in terms of sort of the widespread music press like it seems to be only specialist magazines left uh or um or magazines that cater to 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 a much older audience generally mm. you know um and but in terms of like magazines in this country that cover in the uk that cover a really really wide spectrum of music um it feels like it might be the last you know there's no Mm. melody maker there's no enemy anymore there's no q um in terms of q i mean when whenever i wanted to buy a magazine that covered that more sort of mainstream indie guitar music um i personally would tend to go to q um over a lot of the others because um, I mean, we've spoken a lot about our distaste for a lot of what Enemy have done in the past. And Enemy for me, Enemy always seemed to go for the cool acts. But the problem with going for the cool acts is a lot of the time it's very here today, gone tomorrow. And what I always loved about Q is I they just went with what they thought was good. You know, um, in that um, article, the Alexis Patritis one from uh, The Guardian, you know, he mentions how like when they started, they were putting uh, Paul McCartney and Pink Floyd on the cover and bands like that. Elton John, Paul Simon, Genesis, Eric Clapton. You have to bear in mind that this was 1986. Those artists weren't considered cool necessarily, but Q still saw um, worth in what they were doing and thought that they were they were interesting artists to talk about. And I think I'd I'd like to think that we follow that path more so than we do the kind of, well, let's just cover this band because it's cool. Do you know what I mean? I mean, one example, actually, we've been discussing behind the scenes talking about this band sports team who, you know, spoiler alert, neither of us particularly like. We don't think an awful lot of them. I don't think I think that's fair to say. I'm not putting words in your mouth, am I? Um, And, uh, you know, they they have uh, they got did they score? What what, what chart placing did they get? Sorry, Steve. Number two. Number two. And they they were six thousand copies or something behind Lady Gaga. Yeah. Which is pretty tight, which is mad. But um, we, we both listened to the record and we've come to the sort of conclusion that it is a very it could you know they sound to me like a hit here today gone tomorrow band and as a result we sort of decided not to bother with it you know and Mm. um 
uh, you know, maybe we'll be wrong in that assessment, but that's our gut feeling and um, that's what we're going with. And I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like Q thought more along our the, the lines that we think along. Uh, obviously, we were influenced by them rather than the other way around, if anything. Mm. But Q always seemed to me a sign of quality as well. You know, I was far more likely to keep my Q magazines than I was my NME magazines. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I have had a bit of a kind of up and down relationship with Q because I do think, I mean, when they did their best album, like famously, I say famously, if, if you know about me famously, like I got into a ruck with um, the band Corner Shop on Twitter due to their placing in the Q albums, oh, best albums of the 90s. I forgot all they, about that. They were above Radiance Machine and the down. I think there were a couple of places above the downward spiral, and I was like, "This is insane." Um, so you know, I don't agree with everything Q ever said, obviously. And oh I think no, they for the record, a, neither do I. No, no, no. They they, they had a tendency to um, to you know to push and like it, it could be a little middle of the road at some points. And I think you know oh, what yeah. you said about covering um, Pink Floyd and Paul McCartney in the eighties is maybe. Uh, that they they definitely carried on to you know Travis and Badly Drawn Boy and oh, Coldplay yeah. and all those kind of things definitely. But in its defence, I mean the first ever issue of Q that I bought, I bought just because I was getting into music and I wanted a music magazine, mm. and it had a CD on the front cover. And on that CD, it had King of New York by Fun Loving Criminals from the first Fun Loving Criminals album, which is brilliant. It had Heroin Girl by Everclear mm. from Sparkle and Fade. It had Sebado. Had Fiona Apple on it had um a couple of other bands on it that i think you know i i just would never really have thought about or i think ben folds fiverr on there as well actually and mm. you know and it, and and inside the magazine there was a there was an on the road piece with screaming trees while they're on tour with oasis mm. Mm, nice. there was an interview with rocket an interview with the rocket from the crypt and i think black grape were on the front cover i think the cover feature was black grape mm-hmm. and it was a great cover feature with with um with black grape and it, I think it was just before they would have headlined Reading in 1996 and i remember it being this brilliant you know sort of seven page interview like detailing black grapes trip to new york that they were doing and it was just fucking great and i do remember thinking what an excellent excellently written story yeah. this is yeah and you know whether or not you agree with what they knew about. I mean, particularly when you start getting into metal and hardcore and stuff, it's oh, slim, yeah. pick, you know, it's yeah, slim yeah. pickings. But the quality of the journalism, I always thought was great. And looking back on it now, I'm like, they actually, like you say, they actually, they weren't swayed by the kind of younger, hipper crowd. They weren't swayed by new metal. They didn't start covering new metal and calling it sports metal just because they felt like they had to, mm-hmm. you know? And they didn't, um, <laughs> if they liked badly drawn boy they would put him on the front cover because he was going to sell he was selling records and he was selling and it didn't matter that you know the rest of the indie press were kind of talking about the strokes and sneering at people like that they just didn't care and i think that is a really good attitude to have that's exactly yeah i think that sums it up quite well i mean i i what i would say is i think they had courage of their convictions i didn't I didn't always agree with them in fact often i disagreed with them but i admired the fact that they would um we we talk about quite a lot sometimes how journalists don't have the courage to say that something's a classic album or something like that um that guardian piece that i've mentioned uh, a few times i mean it said that they would put like cooler shakers k 
and casts all change up there with some of the you know what's going on or astral weeks or velvet underground and nico which is a you know hell of a <laughs> claim to make and one that i personally disagree with but i do admire the chutzpah that it takes to to say that sort of thing and i personally think i would much rather follow a journalist who has very 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 strong convictions and very strong feelings about what they think but i think i personally think is wrong um or or i don't agree with is probably a better way to put it than follow someone who's just a bit sort of not afraid to put their Mm. strong feelings out there there's lots of things that q did i mean q were very very you could argue that q were responsible for this kind of um list craze that magazines uh uh adopted a lot in the 90s they they really yeah. really enjoyed their 100 best of lists um to the point where they even came up with a 150 greatest rock lists ever feature once you know <laughs> which is just ridiculous yeah. um but you know at least they I, mean, I think actually the last issue of q i ever would have bought would have been something that has massively inspired broken records which was they did the 100 worst albums ever made and a lot of those albums that we will be talking about on broken records have come directly from that list that q put together yeah some of them haven't i think like fucking chocolate starfish by limp biscuit was number two never gonna happen that was never getting in there but Mm. a lot of them have do you know Mm. what i mean Mm. Mm. yeah exactly and like uh I, i think any music publication you know frankly puts good things into the world and bad things into the world but I always liked Q for, like you said, the quality of the journalism, which to my mind always seemed to be pretty high. And also, um, as, I, as I said, that courage and their convictions, the, the, the uh, ha- having the courage to say something like, you know, K by Cooler Shakers as good as Astral Weeks, for example, or, you know, just put it on the same pedestal as that. I mean, that's an opinion which I'm sure we both disagree with. But hey, fair play for them. Sure, they whoever wrote that disagrees with that. Pro- probably these well. days, yeah. But but I do admire that. Um, you know, it's I'd much rather that than someone <laughs> be afraid to to put something for, put something forward as a classic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, R.I.P.Q. nineteen eighty six to twenty twenty. Um, if you want your eclectic hit of alternative music, then I guess you've. I only really got one place left to come, haven't you, <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Rolling Stone is still available. Is what I'm <laughs> um, let's move on and do some reviews. <clears throat> and we start uh, not necessarily with the biggest artist of the week, but certainly right, in many ways, the biggest artist of the week in completely different ways to her profile. Rina Sawayama. The album is called Sawayama. It's a debut album from the Japanese pop singer songwriter. An eclectic mix, so it tells me, of pop, new metal, R and B, and dance. Um, a hell of an album in terms of the scope of stuff that it does. I would throw in EDM. I'd specific. I specifically say bubblegum pop, uh, and uh, maybe a Timberland esque R and B kind of quality to it as well. Do you think that's mm-hmm. fair? Um, yeah 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 we don't cover pop that often on this show do we steve the last example i can go on not really no the last example i can think of is maybe Haley williams does haim count does pop haim counts okay the last example is haim last example is haim then but um from time to time 
a record comes along which uh is really i mean what uh, our big rule for records that we cover is interesting records and mm-hmm. there's absolutely no doubt about it this is an interesting record isn't it steve it's a hell of an interesting record mm. a really really intriguing record i think um pop music's been on uh, well i was gonna say it's been on a pretty good upward trajectory um over the last decade or so i actually don't think that's true anymore i think pop music has been i think pop music in the the early part of the 2000s was probably better than any type of music in the world at that point i think there was a real genuine point where stuff like justin timberlake and stripped by christian aguilera um and the first two sugar babes albums were legitimately better than girls pretty much anything girls first allowed. girls allowed album well girls allowed, yeah singles wise i don't know about girls allowed albums but you know if you put on i mean stripped by christian aguilera is a great album from back to front it's a fucking okay. great record and you know can't you say i've heard it that, but... so, um in search of by nerd and stuff like that which i guess kind of broadly falls under pop mm-hmm. missy elliott was mm-hmm. out and about doing kind of stuff then and it was you know that uh, misunderstood by pink mm-hmm. that first gwen stefani album is mm-hmm. fucking brilliant as well and anything that the neptunes touched i mean it was a real kind of high point for pop which led into a i think by the end of the decade total dominance by the likes of Katy perry rihanna lady gaga um of the of mainstream music and pop music had become fucking cool do you know what i mean it was a cool thing to like I'm, it wasn't a sort of uh, guilty pleasure anymore yeah i'm i'm less of an expert on this as you know regular listeners will know um but what um strikes me when you list all the artists that you just listed there is um the creativity in pop and i wonder if that's the key to it mm. it feels like that that was a um era where pop music was incredibly creative and i think uh, mm. the word creative and this record uh is very 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 apt um yeah uh, i i i mean just to put this out early um i i don't think we're there yet with uh um with this artist but um listening to this it did occur to me that maybe in the future as her career pro- progresses maybe we're gonna have another kind of english bjork on our on our hands do you uh, agree with that do you disagree with that can you see it going in that direction am i going ott with that um well i mean possibly um i i can see it i mean there are there is the thing is there are so many reference points for rena sawayama in terms of what she could be that i think whittling it down at this point on the strength of this debut album to exactly what she is it feels like sort of scrabbling around i mean it could be one of many many things i actually personally i find that very very exciting um yes i think it is to an extent i think i think the reason why i say bjork is because bjork is an artist to me who it feels like she can do whatever the fuck she wants to do and a it will be distinctly bjork and b Mm. people will go with it and I suppose yeah. that that's what I mean when I make that comparison. I'm not saying that she necessarily sounds like Bjork because I don't. Yeah, I'm, see, I was, what does Bjork I was thinking sound of, like? I know. Well, I was thinking of debut when you said that. I was thinking of the, yes. the first Bjork yeah. album, exactly. and then I was thinking of this, and I was going, oh, I think this is probably more 
uh, varied than even the first Bjork album. Um, I think I think that the first one, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I I I mean, there's like I say, there's a lot to there's a hell of a lot to unpack here. Just to finish up briefly on my point about pop music <laughs> and where I think it sits now is what I've found myself feeling over the last probably like seven or eight years is that pop became great but still kind of like you said artistically interesting and then it got a bit silly like really silly when it got to kind of gang you know stuff like gangnam style mm. those kind of one hit wonders and like lmfao and mm. um rizzle kicks and stuff like that i was like eh. and it got a bit got a bit shit and it got a bit silly again bit and tacky. I think then it became bit tacky. bit tacky and then it became i think a little bit too serious i think oh, okay what katie perry and taylor swift have done over the last few years is everyone's trying to pull a beyonce mm. you know no matter what you are no matter what you do i feel like everybody is trying to go for lemonade, lemonade. by beyonce mm -hmm. and i get it but mm. i think there's actually nothing wrong with just being a really good pop artist and i look at someone like grimes or billy eilish and i think this is definitely artistically interesting but it's not a lot of fun mm. and i felt that like pop music has lost the art of being fun for quite you know for quite some time now and i don't want to go too what was cool i don't want to go too far off the subject but i wonder if that's a reflection of the times don't know maybe yeah mm. maybe and i mean you know considering some of the dark subject matter on the um the the hayley williams mm. album i mean the second half of that some of that is is great fun mm. you know and i think um we spoke about the 1975 who i guess are a pop band and again they're super serious and they're no fun but that one song <laughs> that i wanged on about mm. is loads of fun mm. and i just think like it's like i said about 1975 do that and i think the beauty of this record is that it finds lots of different ways to put a smile on your mm. face definitely yeah and i think that that is something which that's what i want from pop music do you know what i mean that is what i want from pop music you can make serious pop music but it is but it has to still have that element of it being uplifting and enjoyable and fun and feeling breezy and just do you know what i mean like this serious shit like stfu um which is the sort of uh i mean what would you call it the um i don't think new metal's the, a bad the new, the new metals the new metal song well I, mean, I guess you would wouldn't you i i kind of said that it sounds it, it, it's not a million miles away from something that baby metal would do i don't mm. think i think the difference i put, I put poppy i think it's a better version of that poppy oh yeah yeah quite possibly yeah i think um when it i mean when it yeah that's that might be a better shout actually but i mean staying with the baby metal theme for a bit i think the difference for me, I, I think this is a better written song than the majority yes, yes. of what baby metal do. Because with baby metal, you have all these parts which are sort of put together, but they very rarely feel, they re very rarely flow into one another um, uh, in, a, in a cohesive manner. It's, it, it, it is almost like really crazy bubblegum J-pop bit and then metal chorus and blah, blah, blah. But shut the fuck up is uh so well stfu it sounds for shut the fuck up uh is uh, like it it has a really quite metally verse 
Mm. but goes into a poppier sort of dreamier chorus without being alienated from one another. Uh, does that make Here's sense? Here's what I think it mm. is. Here's what I think it is. She's not trying to be wacky. Yes. Yeah. She's yeah, not yeah. trying to be like, oh, I'm doing a rock song. Oh, I'm mixing pop. And like that poppy album, the whole thing just was like, oh, look, I'm going to go this way. I'm doing a new metal. Oh, look, I'm so correct. We're crazy because we're doing new metal. Aren't we mad? And, ba- and a lot of baby metal is like, look how cutesy we can be. But also we're so heavy and oh, it's so different, isn't it? And this isn't saying, look how different I am. It's just writing a rock song. I mean, it's not a million miles away from something like Human Waste Project. Mm. And that's a good thing, mm. by the way. Mm. You know, it's just, she's going, I'm going to write a rock song. Mm. And it's not, oh my God, I'm going to write a rock song because I'm so crazy. It's just, I'm writing a rock song because I like this type of music. Mm. And it feels like it's not, it's not made by committee. It's not made by design. Mm. It, it's made by because she likes that type of music and she's decided to write a song that sounds like that. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, I mean, again, to, uh, without wanting to shit on it all the time, we always bring up Ammo when we talk about records that go in many different variants and totally off-piste and, you know, this playlist Spotify thing that seems to be so popular with people at the moment. I mean, this does have that. There is, you know, the, the opening song, Dynasty, sounds like Tattoo, do you remember them? The <laughs> yeah. Russian, the the early noughties uh, Russian pop lesbians um, for money. And the second song, XS, has got that kind of early noughties Neptunes thing to it, which I think is brilliant. And then you get a new metal song. Yeah. And they're all really different. And But it all still sounds like her. And it sounds like a cohesive record exactly. to me. Like, it doesn't sound like this... You know, oh, look, we're going crazy. We can do so many different things. doesn't feel like it's trying to impress anyone mm. because it can do so many different things. Mm. It's just writing songs. And yeah. she's the focal point of them. And ergo, that makes everything feel like it is tied together. I think when we look back at this period of popular modern music, we're going to see a very... Uh, uh, we're in a transitional phase, I feel like, where artists and and musicians are realizing that people's tastes are broader than they've ever been because of streaming services we've talked about this quite a lot you know if you have access to any music you want to listen to for free you're going to listen to a far wider range of stuff than my generation would have or your generation would have when we had to pay 15.99 for a cd i think the problem is is most people and yes you're absolutely right we bring up ammo all the time as the example um haven't figured out a way to put all of those influences together and make it cohesive. But what is exciting about this record is it is, yeah, exactly like you say, it's mm. really varied and there's loads of stuff in it. But I never, ever, I always felt like I was listening to the same person. I don't feel like, yeah, I don't too. feel like I'm listening to the same band when I listen to Ammo. I feel like I'm listening to a playlist, which is why we go on about it being a playlist all the time. But mm. this feels, you know, truthfully, honestly, I'm going to throw my hands up now and go like, I don't love everything on this album and it's far I think it's far more catered to no, me neither. I think it's far more catered to your choice uh, your tastes as someone who has more time for pop music than it does mine. But certainly um of the 13 14 songs on the record I think it's 13 but the Japanese version is a bonus track. It got a bonus track, yeah. Um a good sort of eight maybe nine are songs that I was just like this is 
really good. And I would, you know, I, I would happily go back to this and play it again, basically, which for a pop record, for my tastes, is extremely good. Like, that's really, mm. really, really good, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, it fe this feels like one of the first records to do that cohesive uh, melding of loads and loads and loads of styles so so well so cohesively um i mean i love the, the, that excess song that you mentioned has that kind of descending heavy riff that comes into it seemingly out of nowhere and it makes this really heavy guitar riff a hook and puts that into pop music and like not many people i mean look let's not go overboard it's not cannibal corpse heavy but it's a it's a that's a heavy riff uh, you, you know if you heard that on the radio yeah. that would be like oh what the hell is that and the way it, it but that that's kind of married to this very kind of r&b justin timberlake i mean it reminded me of like i love you by justin timberlake mm. that acoustic doo -doo 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 sort of thing but it it just works it just works she has a fascinating brain a fasc fascinating artistic brain the way that she can put these things together um i totally understand why this album i mean it's currently sitting at number seven on metacritic's best of 2020 list and i can totally yeah. understand why people are going quite mad for a record like this i do too i mean just for the for the my sort of positive the positive stuff mm -hmm. um paradising is sounds like crash by gwen stefani but sort of ripped jacked um on steroids if you like it's, it's fucking great for, for my taste a little bit too j-pop that one but i'm i'm i okay. never say it's a bad song but objectively objectively it's difficult to argue yeah it's difficult to argue mm. with that but yeah um love me for me sounds like the best 90s r&b song that wasn't on the sister act 2 soundtrack <laughs> it's fucking great i said um, i said that so i hope people get this reference but i said that sounds like it should be soundtracking one of the emerald green zone levels on sonic the hedgehog <laughs> Believe me, it does. It's been so long since I played Sonic the Hedgehog. I can't remember what it that sounds, sounds like. like. It should soundtrack one of the opening levels on Sonic the Hedgehog, basically. Right, fair enough. Um, my, I mean, but my favourite song on the record by far is "Who's Going to Save You Now," which oh. reminds me of "Fighter" by Christina Aguilera, and is just a you know when you the air grab the Simon Le Bon like pull down <laughs> yeah. that he does where yeah. you grab some air and then you pull your fist down yeah. that it's it's all that it's fucking brilliant like there's some great songs on there really really great songs and those all six of those songs that I've just mentioned um as being my favorite ones they all sound pretty much completely different from each other yes. but like you say they do all sound like the same artist as well yeah. um they all come from it's not all good no it's not all good. I mean, Bad Friend is, is rubbish. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it just ties it. To, if you use that much of that auto-tuned vocal thing, it ties it to now. Mm -hmm. And I think what I realized listening to this, because there was bits where I was like, that sounds like the 90s. That sounds like 2003. That sounds like 2009. You know, that sounds like 1988 or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's kind of all right to do a modern sounding version of something that's happened in the past. But if you're just doing another version of something that's happening right now, that weirdly makes you sound more dated than you would do if you were taking inspiration from something that happened in the past. I mm. feel. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I mean, I certainly agree with you. I don't think this is a good song. I don't, don't particularly like that song myself. Mm. Um, I'm, I, or I'm a little bit scared as to, I have a very much a favorite song on this album and it is 
Not what you'd expect, I don't think. Um, oh. I bloody love Chosen Family. Oh, do you? Yeah. Now, That's right near the end. Right near the end. Now, firstly, there's a synth part that almost wholesale rips off the synth part and do hast. Um, yeah. But it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't sound like Ramstein at all. I don't want to. I don't want to give the impression that it sounds like Ramstein. But my God, I, it might even be a nod to you know to to do hast. I'm not sure. Uh, it's a ballad undoubtedly it's a ballad the kind that could have easily sounded very insipid and very trite in the hands of a lesser artist um the chorus goes for example we don't need to be related to relate we don't need to share genes or a surname you are you are my chosen chosen family so what if we don't look the same we've been going through the same thing yeah you are you are my chosen chosen family now on paper that does sound kind of forced and trite um, but within the context of the song itself, for me, I actually think it sounds like a really compassionate thing to say in this in a time when we could do with a lot more compassion, you know. Um, and it, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I was I was listening it. <laughs> I was on the bus listening to this for the first time. Chosen family, and did you cry? Yeah, <laughs> did you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it, it, it completely it completely sideswiped me i was i i was not everything pre that moment it, you know it's good but nothing on it is going to make you cry particularly pre that moment right. so i was so sort of stunned by this uh and i was looking out on i was on the top deck of the bus and looking out around at multicultural london and kind of yeah, it just made me start crying. <laughs> I was just like, this, it really got to me. And I fucking love that wow. song. And it sh- it's, wow. it's like, yeah, it's kind of cheesy as fuck. But then, you know, a lot of the best pop music's cheesy as fuck, isn't it? At the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think that's fine. Yeah, I think, Good. I think uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a very rent-free song at all. And I'm probably as shocked as anyone else if, if anyone knows that song. But I, I love it. I think it's brilliant, that song. I think it's a really beautiful sentiment. Um, You've changed. I've changed, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> yeah, crazy, isn't it? Um, wow, well, on that bombshell. Um, <laughs> no, no, finally, just for what I would... The other thing I was going to say, mm. just to stop Renfrew from weeping for a minute, <laughs> is that um, the other thing that I think is really, really strong about this record, um, and it's not something you can hear, but I think it's something you can just tell, and it, it was quite telling when i did look at the credits looking over the credits it doesn't have that thing which i think a lot of modern pop albums have which is too many cooks spoiling the broth yeah, yeah, yeah. it's usually just her who writes a song or maybe with occasionally with someone else there's a maximum of three producers involved per track so she does she se- does she does seem to have one co-writer on most of the songs mm. in fact something that i noticed chosen family is the only one which is exclusively written by her which i thought was interesting yeah. as well but but yes often when you look at the writing credits for pop records it's fucking 11 people have a have a credit on, yeah, on 70 producers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Fucking which is ridiculous. insane but i think you know three producers on a song is still quite a lot it is. to me yeah yeah, yeah it is. but this does feel like a representation of one artist and often those albums don't feel like that and i can't help but wondering that bringing 40 people into a st- i mean we spoke about the beck album mm. and we were like this doesn't sound like a beck album mm. where's beck mm. yeah well there's 
you know, 12 producers on this track and it's been written by nine people. Mm. So Beck is one fucking 21sts of it. Mm. Um, and this doesn't feel like that. I think, I think personally, that is a very, very good lesson for all pop artists. Well, not just pop artists, all artists mm. to go, you know what? Do I need 45 people writing this fucking song and producing this song with me and sticking their oar in? You know, where where am I in this? Where am I? Um, it's just an ins- she's, it's an insane, she's there front and centre. It's an insane waste of money, if nothing else, in a time where the music industry doesn't even have a lot of money in it. Do you know what I mean? It's a well, crazy thing. Yeah, I mean, I think people are just used to it and that's yeah. just the way that, yeah. that it's begun to behave. But the difference is, I mean, if you, you know, if you, you look at this album and then you look at, yeah, like you say, an album that you can really afford to spend a lot of money on. Mm. I mean, if you look at the amount of producers on the last Taylor Swift album or mm-hmm. whatever, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think her, her, you're getting a, a slightly more diminished version of that person. Agreed. The more and more people that add to it. But then you can afford to do it, can't you? I mean, yeah. it's a, a Chinese democracy. Does that sound like Guns N' Roses? Not really. Yeah. You know, it just sort of sounds like lots of different things. Like, where's where's actual that Guns N' Roses that you know hmm. that wrote appetite for destruction they're not they're not there anymore well yeah quite they're swamped yeah we've i mean we've brought up um we've brought up uh uh identity quite a lot uh recently on this show and um i think what's encouraging about this record is uh despite it being incredibly diverse and incredibly idio- idiosyncratic um the, her sense of identity is always there throughout even even when even when she's doing songs which i'm not particularly into akasaka sad i'm not really into the fuck the fuck this world interlude in fact most of the middle I, for me i don't think you do agree with this because you've named a couple of the songs that that i wasn't too into but the, the middle of the record sags a little bit for me it's the bookends that i like the most the beginning and the end um and you know truthfully in all honesty this is a difficult album for me to love personally just because pop music is not what i spend my time listening to do you know what i mean um but having said that i know quality when i hear it and i see soyama potentially having the sort of career where we genuinely have no idea what she does next or where she's going to go next and I think that is really, really exciting. I think it's very encouraging that she's she's 29 as well. Um, and the this is a massive generalisation, but younger pop stars have a tendency to let sudden fame go to their heads, you know? And, and who can blame them, frankly? I'm not kind of cussing those people out. I'm just saying when you get that much attention and that much fame at a very, very young age, I think it's easier to deal with that when you've had a bit more life experience. Um I think you're right. But I and I, I think that additional bit of life experience tends to ground people a little bit more. So it's not it's not a cuss on young people. Uh I'm just saying, you know, that that's the reason why I'm saying that. But I think it's encouraging that she's not I'd be a little bit more worried about her if she was 21. Do you know what I mean? Not to sound fatherly mm. or anything, but you know, um but because she's 29, I feel like she's she's going to have her head screwed on and she's going to be able to do this. I I I re- I think this could be the start of an artist that maybe, maybe we're still talking about in 20 years' time. Maybe. Certainly possible. I mean, I really, really like this record. Mm. I really like this record. I mean, I don't know. These days, I don't know if anyone has any kind of longevity in them at all because of just the way that the world is. But I would like to think that there is enough um, 
good. I mean, you know, it's not been a massive hit either. This record, do you know what I mean? It's not this. I was surprised that this doesn't appear to have charted particularly high anywhere. I mean, it's been very well received, but it doesn't appear to have blown everyone away and come storming out and oh, it's this debut record that everyone's loving. But you know, it uh, got to number eight in the UK independent albums chart. Uh, number two in the UK independent album breakers. Um, but no, it, it, but I, do you know what? I think that's okay because critically it's done enormously well. I mean, as I said, it's got a score of 89, um, on Metacritic that puts it in the same league as run the jewels, Haim, Mm. uh, and spoiler alert, Laura Marling, which we're going to be talking about later in the show. So but it just sounds like a record that you would imagine loads of people would really like. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So, you know, uh, let's hope. Yeah, let's hope that that trajectory continues. Um, that's Sawayama by Rina Sawayama. It's really, really good. Mm. I like it a lot. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> oh, just one one quick to... thing. Just one quick thing. How do you think it compares to Hayley Williams? Just because that's probably the closest thing we've covered to it. I th- I prefer it to Hayley Williams. Do you? Personally. Cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. I think they're both very good. I think this is, this feels like, this is much more enjoyable consistently than Hayley Williams, I think. And that's not to diss the Hayley Williams record, which I thought was really good. Um, but this is just a lot more fun. I would say, I think I prefer Hayley Williams, but I see more promise in Sayoyama as a artist in the future. Bearing in mind, this is her debut record. Obviously, Hayley Williams is her mm. debut solo record, but, you know, Hayley Williams, Williams has been doing this in the, she's been in the music game for a while you know what i mean so so i see yeah. more promise in what soy armor is doing even though i slightly prefer pearls for armor but yeah okay um let's move on how much promise is in this static <laughs> x project regeneration volume one. Oh god the first volume of the project regeneration series which may well begin and end at volume one it's the seventh studio album from the la industrial metal band static x the first album since their iconic frontman wayne static passed away in 2014 although he does appear on rather a lot of the tracks on this record a bit like oliver reed in gladiator um <laughs> it's exactly the same exactly the same static x renfrey Static X. <laughs> they well, were a thing, weren't they? You reviewed. I mean, I thought this was particularly interesting that we should bring. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of reasons why this why this record is interesting, but there isn't anything musically interesting about it. It's the story around it, which is absolutely jaw-droppingly fascinating in lots of ways, isn't it? Um, I feel like you have a better grasp of the story than I do. It's bloody complicated. Uh, and obviously you also saw them live last year. I did. Uh, and you were, su- your review was surprisingly good. I mean, considering, you know, I think for those who don't know, since Wayne Static's passing, they've got a mysterious member in to replace him. We actually all know that it's, uh, uh, what's his name? Dope. Zero. Well, they're calling him Zero. I mean, it's actually um, fucking hell. What's his name? Sorry, it's a- Edzel Dope. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, that was given away quite quickly. Um, but Edzel Dope appears in a Wayne Static zombie mask, um, which a lot of people found quite a tasteless move. I think when we last discussed mm-hmm. this. 
um, you were surprised at how well it came across, maybe. And I think we came to the conclusion that Wayne Static, maybe he was a big horror fan or sci-fi nerd or something like that. So maybe it was kind of like a tribute to him in that sense. Um, I can still see why it would come across as quite... Uh, God, what's even the word? I don't, just distasteful, really. Yeah. What are your very, feelings very, on that now? Very distasteful in theory. In theory. Um, yeah. But to be fair, like I said at the time, mm. um, it actually worked a lot better than it had any right to work. Mm. And I think mm. it is down to the fact that they never hid away from showing actual Wayne Static and saying, this is a tribute to Wayne mm. Wayne is the star of the show, even though he's not here. Mm. Yes, the guy playing him, you could hear his family looking at him. You could go, oh, this feels a bit weird and a bit creepy. And yeah, you know, it could. Mm. Um, but I at least thought what it reminded me was that Wisconsin Dread Strip, if you're of a certain age, mm. is a really cool album, really good record. Mm. Um and holds a great deal of nostalgic weight for a lot of people. I don't think it could come out today mm. and have the same sort of love that it had back then. I think we ended but, up agreeing that it was a record of its time, but it was a damn good record of its time, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'd add Machine in as well. I think yeah. Machine's a good, a good record as well. Yeah. Um, but that's the live show. That's paying tribute to someone who people maybe didn't get a chance to pay tribute to the problem is much like queen found out found out going and doing tribute to your late front man live is all well and good it's when you then start recording music even with demos of you know or recordings of his voice um you have to wonder what the point of static x in 2020 is i mean static x really are known for two things wayne static Wayne Static's hair. And if you were to add the third thing in, it would probably be Trip Ison. So I really don't know what purpose Static X can really serve in the year 2020 with new music and a new album. I really don't know who this is for or why this is happening. I mean... It's worth explaining the Trip Ison stuff for people who are unaware, isn't it, Steve? So um, again, yeah. I'm going to let you take this. Because <laughs> it's... <laughs> Um, just gonna let you do oh, all the hard stuff <laughs> fair enough well uh, trip ison was the guitarist in static x yeah. he's uh, he, he is the x with he is the x guitarist we should x yeah. guitarist yeah. in static x um it was two thousand around sort of 2005 2006 um he was arrested he spent a year in jail um uh, one just as a side note one of his defenses i saw was um it, it, it wasn't his fault that uh, because he he didn't know that the pe the person he was sleeping with was underage or something like that. Yes, he also. I mean, he's he's had some cases with some girls, two separate girls, uh, I believe. Um, he also uh, they may not have been of age. Mm. Um, apparently, he also posed as a trip Eisen, um <laughs> a trip Eisen tribute act. Mm. I mean, you're not big enough to have a tribute act if you're the second guitarist in Static oh, X. Oh, God. I thought you were saying um, that to me. Oh, you do? No, no, you do. <laughs> My God. I can think of... There's the guy from Loathe and the guy from Cancer Bats are just <laughs> crap Renfrey Deadman <laughs> tribute acts, aren't they? I'm not even going to give Eric and Scott their real name. I'm just going to call them those crap guys from... <laughs> 
sorry, sorry, Evie you gents, if you're uh, listening. Sorry, Aaron. obviously I'm mucking around. Um, yeah, uh, but Trip Eisen, yeah, he did that, mm. and you know they kicked him out. To be fair, he was in jail. He didn't come back. Mm. You would think that would be where we heard the end of Trip Eisen and Static X. He actually has a writing credit on this record. Uh, he's got a few, hasn't he? He's got a few. Um, yeah, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit weird. This, I mean, basically, he kind of had to. He claimed he wrote some of the songs during his time in the band, and then they kind of the band had altered the music so that they didn't have to pay him royalties. Um, it's in a kind of legal dispute at the moment. Um, yes, he has three writing credits on the album. Funnily enough, they are the three songs which have the parentheses "project regeneration" after them. I have no idea if that's. Uh, related in some way or not um i mean it feels like something we have to mention because basically because he has writing credits he will be getting money as a result of this record so if you choose to listen to not this, a lot of money not a lot of money sure. like an insignificant amount of money let's face it in the grand scheme of things but in theory if you listen to this on spotify you'll be giving him something like 0.000000. <laughs> I mean, it was such a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, but in theory, and it's probably worth putting that out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and all of that just adds to the chaos and yeah. the feeling that the world just does not need another uh, Static yeah, X record. Exactly. That I cannot get past this. Even as I sat down to listen to it, I was like, even if this is good, and it's not, by the way. Mm. Um, but even if this was really good, I would still go, do we need this? Is this really necessary that people are put through this? I just don't. I mean, it's not a good record to begin with. I mean, it's not a good record. It's an incredibly, it, you know, I, I was sort of thinking like, I wonder how quickly this will date. I mean, it's been out a week and it is dated back to probably 2001 within a week of it being out so i think you're being kind with 2001 <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably 1998 I think you're being kind yeah yeah um i should i should also just to make things even more complicated we were planning to review this the week it came out and we contacted the pr only to be informed that they um well we were told that they wouldn't be sending out promos for the album until the thursday the 9th of july now the record came out on friday the 10th of july so that is literally one day before the album came out um this not that you need more than about 12 hours listening to no. it and mark really <laughs> and know really what's going on you don't um with this particular record i mean there's usually two scenarios where that plays out either it's it's because the band are absolutely massive and are trying to avoid piracy at all costs tall is a very good recent like example of that the other scenario is usually that management management know full well they have a stinker on their hands and they don't want it to go out to press before it goes out to the general public however if you look at the press reviews for this, not a lot of people haven't even bothered to review it. I'm starting to wonder if we should have even bothered, but here we go. Uh, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> um, it's got surprisingly good reviews. My goodness me. Consequence of Sound said that every track, every track is hard-hitting, gritty industrial metal at its finest. Static X Project... <laughs> Static X Project Regeneration Volume 1 properly cements Wayne Static's legacy, also remarking that it is a cohesive and strong effort despite its patchwork construction. Dom Lawson, a man we have a massive amount of respect for in the main, 
uh, gave it eight out of ten for Blabbermouth, saying, "Did did have <laughs> <laughs> saying there is no doubt that all of this will send diehard fans into a state of hysterical euphoria. Not least because Project Regeneration Volume One feels like a rounded and coherent artistic statement, but there is more than enough substance and style here for the unconverted too." Not convinced of that. No, 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 no. See, now mm. I'm just going to nip in here. Yeah, go on. These reviews I can see eight out of ten, B plus, four yeah. out of five, yeah. eight point five out of ten, three point seven out of five on Sputnik Music. I mean, I can understand why you would give a review. I mean, I would imagine if you got given this, like if I got given this for Metal Hammer. I mean, recently I was given the Mushroom Head album. Yes, and you gave one of. I gave four, three, three, three or four, four, three or four, four. I think. Um, Too it kind. is crap. It's a terrible record, mm. and like objectively speaking, I was like, okay, objectively, because you know it's got absolutely nothing going for it. And you think, why are you here? Mm. Why are you here? Why are Soil here? Why are Power Man Five Thousand here? Why are Drowning Pool here? Just like in. You know, 1998, I went, why are Poison here? Mm. Why are Rat here? Mm. Why are Motley Crue here? Why are any of these bands here? You know, why? Why? Um, and you just think, like, time to tap out, lads. Yeah. It's time to fucking tap out because you don't have anything to say. And what you're doing is you're clogging up good music that is coming through. You're clogging up festival bills. You're clogging up release schedules. You're clogging You're taking away press you're taking you're clogging the metal scene up and making it look old and sad and tired and boring and you weren't good in the first place that's not i'm not going to aim that at static x so i think were had a place back in the day mm -hmm. and if they were together with the original lineup with wayne static i don't think i'd be getting excited about the the, no. the, the proposition of a new static x album but i might at least go oh static x i used to quite like them yeah. right the problem is there is a whole bunch of people who absolutely refuse to move on from the commercial peak of metal, which would be the Linkin Park new metal thing. And they don't like Linkin Park and Papa Roach and Limp Biscuit. They like Dope and Godhead and Mushroom Head and all these fucking dreadful bands. So They'll love if this. you're reviewing it... If you, well, yeah, they will. If you're, I mean, when I went to Seastar, I've never seen more fucking faded power man 5000 t-shirts in my fucking oh life my by people who that used to fit into the person wearing it back in fucking 2001 <laughs> i have never do you know what i mean i've never seen so i was like fuck me you look like you've been cryogenically frozen <laughs> and then woken up for this gig it's demolition man via static x isn't it it is and you just i just think like if you're reviewing it, you're reviewing it for those people. And fucking fair play to those people mm. who don't care about listening to, you know, like, I guess, like, fair play to the, you know, the bloke you see wearing leather trousers with a big gut hanging over the top of it, wearing his fucking cut-off bloody rat T-shirt from the tour they did in 1983 with Quiet Riot, and he just will not, you know, and he's got the fucking hair combed over so it looks like he's still got big bouffant fluffy hair, but actually he's got his hairline like Steve McLaren. <laughs> like... Fair enough, right? You love it. I like you, I love I love the fact that you are passionate and that you know you are never gonna you don't want to give those days up. I don't want to take the piss out of that person. But at the same time, that's who these records are for. Mm. They're not for anyone else. Mm. They're not for anyone else. So that idea that, oh, this might convert a few people. No, no. it will not. No, I no agree. it will not. I agree. I mean I I picked It's never gonna convert anyone. I picked that quote 
mainly for that which i think is insane i th I think anyone listening to this who wasn't into static x at the time is going to see this as a bewildering kind of throwback you know this is um this is a nostalgia trip you know and for people my age and your age i'm gonna i'm gonna throw my hands up here and say occasionally i found this quite a fun nostalgic trip i didn't what seago placebo <laughs> fucking banger yeah. it's like fucking fine I, I you know i know it's rubbish but yeah fuck it it yeah. reminds me of the time yeah great yeah i the, the, you know. the, i i did i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend i'm not gonna pretend that i didn't have fun listening to this record but i also can't pretend that it's a good record do you know what i mean no yeah. no no no, no. Yeah. Like, do you know my granddad if we drive down like the motorway or a busy road if he saw a horse and cart I remember he used to be like, oh, look, it's a horse and cart. Brilliant. And I was like, it's just really fucking slow. Get a car. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? And I can't help thinking that anyone who's into metal, anyone who's listening to like Code Orange and Knock Loose or like End or any of the bands that we talk about that we've been really excited about for what has been a really fucking good year in metal yeah. would listen to this and look at it in the same way as me as a nine-year-old looked at my granddad looking at a horse and cart and just thinking, why Why would you get excited about this? Why would you think this is good? Well, quite, yeah. I think Code Orange is the really, like, the, the. I mean, we. I know we bring Code Orange up all the fucking time, but in this particular case, I think it's particularly pertinent because this sounds like Code Orange, but 22 years ago. And and if you, if you kind of put underneath on, it's kind of like, the, underneath is the... The, is what's happening in heavy music now with that that mix of industrial and EDM elements and so on and so forth. Um, this does have a mixture of industrial elements and, and, and EDM and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, certainly the opening, I'm not even going to call it a song, the opening track, Regeneration, sounded to me like, um, you know, we've mentioned it quite, quite recently, Moby's remix of the James Bond theme from 1997. <laughs> it sounds like that. And that is not a compliment. Sounds like the Spawn soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God, the Spawn soundtrack's filter, a great shout. Filter and the Crystal Method. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, two, two cutting-edge artists <laughs> yeah, together exactly. at last. Exactly. And you know what? Like, if anyone bought this and said, I enjoy this, in a kind of nostalgia sort of sense, I'd be like, well, you know, fair enough. That's that's up to you. But anyone kind of what's annoying about bands like this is, as you say, it is that leather panted gut belly guy who will be going, this is this is the most uh, forward thinking thing in metal these days or something like that. And it's just like, it's the complete opposite of that. I mean, there is fun to be had in a sort of Rob Zombie-esque kind of way. Mm. Um, mm. But, you know... Uh, I mean, you know, there are... Yeah. You know, Wayne Static, unbelievable. Like, the new guy sounds so much like Jonathan Davis. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Not even fucking funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he just cannot not try and do that. Like, oh, my, I'm going to... Uh, over, like, fucking, you know, the, 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 the fucking... Marilyn Manson, beautiful people, fucking remix that was on the single. Don't remember these do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. much it sounds like the remix. You know, yeah. like the the fucking what would it be called the Tab Clear remix or something yeah. like that. Yeah. that you get on a single. It, it it's just it's so 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 dated. It, it has not attempted to update the sound of Static X in, in the slightest. any way. And 
And I don't know if that's just because they think, well, no, fuck it. That's what we sound like. And that's what we sound like. And we're just going to appeal to these people. Mm. And they just want that. That's what they want. They don't want anything too ch- Because, because you know, the amount of people that have just gone, yeah, Code Orange just sound like Marilyn Manson. It's like, well, yeah. that's because you just listen to Marilyn Manson, isn't it? Yeah. You don't really know what else, anything that doesn't sound. There's, there's two types of music. Music that sounds like Marilyn Manson and music that doesn't sound like Marilyn Manson. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> fucking stick, <laughs> stick fucking Lou Reed and Mo. Mozart and Bob Marley in one camp. That's one genre of music. And then there's Rob Zombie and Code Orange and fucking Atari Teenage Riot in the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, the Jonathan Davis stuff is bang on. I I, I, I would say specifically issues era Jonathan Davis. I don't know why, but I got a lot of issues era uh, Jonathan Davis. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like Jonathan Davis's vocals, but when you get someone who, I mean, it does sound like he's doing a Jonathan Davis's impression it's unbelievable um do you think he's just waiting till jonathan davis is doing an audition because when jonathan davis dies he's gonna buy a packet he's gonna buy like a fucking adidas tracksuit and dread his hair and then like put a zombie mask on and go you want a bag for me and they go yes <laughs> project regeneration well, volume two that this cunt fucking dressed up like jonathan davis weirdly going boing weirdly that would feel more appropriate than this is uh you know and that's yeah. a crazy thing to say but it would um i will say one thing for it the final song, Dead Souls, is fucking Al Jorgensen. Brilliant. Yeah. Al Jorgensen from Ministries on it. I, I mean, am I going over the top when I say it's fucking brilliant? Yeah, massively <laughs> over the top. Yeah, say it's fucking brilliant. I think it's a very good song. Maybe I think it's, it's Stockholm comfortably... Syndrome. Okay. I think what this is, is Dead Souls is the most in- artistically interesting song on the it's the yes yeah okay okay fucking brilliant it's probably it is not a it's not a brilliant song by any (laughs) stretch of the imagination i mean like most of it sounds like stuff like otsego placebo and accelerate you know they just go they are like you know slime light fucking 99 yeah 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 yeah. uh and dead souls isn't yes 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 yes, a little little bit more than that fair enough fair enough um but but yes and and i do think there's a bit of stockholm syndrome for in in a way because i've just been listening to 35 minutes of that slime light bollocks um and then and then that comes in and maybe that just makes me go oh my god this is the best song i've ever heard kind of thing but yes al jurgensen's on it he sounds fucking amazing incidentally i put on psalm 69 immediately after listening to this record just to do an a b comparison that's an industrial record that was released in 1992 and it sounds further ahead of its time than this record does so there you go um i don't know i, Mate, mean... I reckon they're a fucking woody guthrie album that sound more ahead of their time than than this to be fair i reckon george formby could release an industrial album that sound more cutting edge than this yeah yeah probably i mean <laughs> well, there's that vera lynn remix album coming out isn't there oh wow Oh, veer, veer manufacture. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything else to say on it. Really, oh, oh we spoke about Bush last week, two weeks ago. Uh, the, the Bush album came out last week. Yeah, you know, and that that was a good example of a band taking the essence of what they did, but also, um subtly updating it enough to make it sound modern you know we both agreed that the kingdom sounds like a modern rock record it doesn't sound like it's a product of its time Mm. um (laughs) what static x have failed to do with this album is make it sound vaguely 2020 
it's just it's just so and and you know part of me has to argue what is wrong with that you could argue another record that we reviewed last year you could argue that that misery loves company record did a similar thing it sounded very very of its time it's just the quality was higher you know yeah um generally um so you know i'm not i I wouldn't look down on people who kind of listened to this and got some enjoyment out of it i do look down on people who listen to this and think that this is the penultimate like this is the ultimate sort of that metal has to offer in 2020 and i I would find it i would find it embarrassing if people outside of metal heard this and thought this is this what metal fans listen to i mean that that is embarrassing bentley rhythm ace with with a bit of guitar (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean (laughs) yeah and you think this is cutting edge do you fucking hell but the thing is is there's loads of i mean you know spider one spider zombie the Power Man, he tweeted me once with Power Man 5000 geezer getting angry because I gave him a shit review in Metal Hammer and it's like well go away then yeah. go away mm. you shouldn't be in a band anymore like mm. no offence mate mm. but either do something good or fucking fuck off because mm. you would have said that yourself in 1997 when your debut album was coming out you would have been going Metal needs to change it needs to thrive we can't keep having fucking you know these old men in denim and you're doing this, and now that's you that's you now that's exactly so take right. your own fucking advice and fuck off yeah that's you know what that's that's so on the money because yes particularly that era late 90s it was very much out with the old in with the new and there mm-hmm. is a massive massive irony there isn't there and i think that is yep. a brilliant point to uh yes wrap it up. so there you go project regeneration volume one looking forward to volume of, two of one there ain't gonna be a volume two. well i don't you uh, know what i thought that as soon as i started listening to it but because of the review i mean this is one of the only negative reviews it seems to have got so i think there might be a volume two you know because it seems to have been received really well ridiculous mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see um we'll see. if not if trip eisen has got anything to do with it <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh. Uh, and he unfortunately has uh, let's move on to something with a touch more class than what we've just been speaking a about lot more class. Rufus Rufus Wainwright unfollow the rules the Canadian American singer songwriter's ninth album of original material I must stress of original material because he put out a lot of albums mm. Rufus Wainwright mm. but actually only nine of, uh, of songs composed by himself it's uh, his, this is it's first, his first since oh you're about to say that sorry Go on. since out of the game in 2012 yeah. of original That's material say. of original of, material. of original material um Renfrey. hello uh let me see here this is a bit of a tough one for me rufus wainwright is not someone that i listen to mm-hmm. i own none of his albums i feel that i am familiar with him more due to the covers that he has done over his mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. than I am him as an artist in his own right. But I know enough to know that this lad is a class act. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit more insight into Rufus, Rufus Wainwright than you, but not a lot more, admittedly. Um, around the time I was at drama school, actually. Um, oh, One of my classmates got given a Rufus Wainwright song to sing 
I can't even remember who it was and I can't remember what they what it was either but um it was taken from uh, the double album that he did want one and one to want two and uh my entire class kind of fell in love with uh, these albums and I played them a lot around that time but those are the only two Rufus Wainwright albums I'm familiar with but in terms of Rufus Wainwright himself um smooth tenor voiced baroque pop composer I would say um one way I <laughs> One thing I came up with, which I thought was quite good, is you could say that Rufus Wainwright is Panic at the Disco for Grown Ups. Um... <laughs> yes! Oh, I like it. I, I'm um... quite proud of that. Um, big big, um, <laughs> yeah. big uh, Ben Fox. What do I mean by that? It's, it's, it's um, pompous in a good way. Um, uh, Baroque pop stuff. Um, but mm. done with a sense of class. Uh, class is yes. going to be a key word that comes up here. I think big Ben folds vibes as well. I think that's fair to say. Would you would say? Would you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I also there's a quite a few songs that we, weirdly one song that I mean I wouldn't say this all sounds the same at all, but no. one song that did that did keep coming up when I was listening to it. I was like, the, the whole feel of it. It feels a bit like. Um, the just one song, "The Fool on the Hill" by the Beatles. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of very wistful, um, very kind of uh, nonchalant and quite loungy, but but serious. Like I said, I think mean, classy and serious, and the, you know that it's this isn't kind of jokey, you know, nudge nudge, wink wink kind of when i when i say lounge music sometimes you can think of people doing croony stuff i don't really think of this as a a croony kind of album it just feels like um it's sometimes tongue-in-cheek but no yes i understand what you're saying yeah, it strikes but, me but it, if i was to walk into rick's bar from casablanca it strikes me that mm. this is the music that i'd like to hear mm. also features of matt chamberlain on the drums yeah, yeah. from uh, uh, just an amazing um uh, uh, session drummer. He was on Perfect Circles. Eat the Elephant. He's been on an Alanis Morissette album. He's just basically one of the best session drummers in the world. I'm going to say it's really good. Um, he's worked with Soundgarden. He's worked oh, yeah. with, yeah. um, obviously, um, he's worked with Pearl Jam. He's mm. worked with a lot, a lot of Frank Ocean. Um, he's worked with a lot of people. Mm. He's very good. And you know, here's the thing with this Renfrey is, like I said, I think this is a. A, a, a beautifully realized record i think it sounds fucking incredible mm. the production on it is lush Wonderful. and sweeping and beautiful um i i feel like as someone who went in without really knowing that much of rufus wainwright i still my expectations were kind of met you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i didn't feel like i got anything that surprised me too much here um but is it actually what i want to listen to mm. um I never found myself, as much as I appreciated it, I never really found myself particularly enjoying that much of it, I have to, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I I don't know how much I'm going to return to it, but there are definitely parts, there are definitely certain songs which I think are really wonderful on this record. Um, this one's for the ladies. Um, I think is an amazing uh, lesson in production. And uh, again... That lunge. Uh, that lunge, yeah, 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 to, to give it its full title, I think um, is an amazing lesson in how you do OTT production in a classy way. I said the word classy was going to come up a lot. Um, so that song has choirs on it, harps, strings, you know, it's got all sorts of accoutrements, all sorts of things going on. And yet it somehow feels restrained. 
at the same time. And I think that is an incredibly nuanced and difficult juxtaposition to create. It's an incredible thing to achieve, really, when you consider all the elements that are on it. And it's part of what gives Rufus Wainwright's quite unmistakable sound. And whilst listening to this, I was, I mean, you know, again, Rufus Wainwright has a very strong sense of identity. And I was trying to sum up what is it that he does? And I think it does come down to that big, quite camp OTT production, but done in a classy, uh, restrained way, which is a weird juxtaposition. I mean, it sounds like I'm saying the opposite things, but when you listen to it, you can kind of hear that. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I do. Early Morning Madness is just excellent, in my opinion. Mm. It reminds me of Jeff Buckley's interpretation of Lilac Wine in the way that, you know, Buckley's Lilac Wine makes you feel drunk when you listen to it, particularly the version on Mystery White Boy, which we discussed all the way back on episode mm -hmm. seven. Um, this uh, Early Morning Madness has the effect of making you feel like you're in the throes of drug addiction or, you, you know, it's, it, and it is about sort of being on an all night bender and waking up and, well, not waking up, but it's the early morning and you're still in the throes of, you know, it's about his uh, uh, his days because he's, he's had quite a lot of experiences with that in the past and all that sort of thing. And I thought that it evoked that extraordinarily well. Um, and I, 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 you know, I do... I really, I do like Rufus Wainwright. Um, I haven't given him enough time over the years, but I do like what he does um, quite a lot. Um, certainly this album has, critically, it appears to be one of the most acclaimed records of his career. Uh, it's received a score of 82 on Metacritic based on 13 reviews, mm -hmm. which matches the highest Metacritic score he's garnered to date, which he received for Poses, his 2001 second album. So... If, if critics are be to be believed, and we can never believe them, obviously, but if they are to be <laughs> believed, this is one of his best albums. Um, mm. I can't really, having only heard three of them, I can't really say whether that's the case or not. But I certainly, I don't quite like it as much as Want One or Want Two, but I feel like those albums have a kind of nostalgic place for me because they remind me of drama school. Um, yeah, fair enough. Far and about. But, but I do think that it's generally pretty pretty high quality throughout i i agree i think it is very very high quality it's see i was about to say certain parts of it are a bit twee and i've sort mm -hmm. of i've definitely um i've definitely uh thawed out a bit to tweeness mm -hmm. over the last couple of years i think for sure but um and actually i think twee is maybe not quite the right word for it but yeah because you know like i mentioned fool on the hill by the beatles and that you know which is a fucking amazing song yeah. um and this does have and you know you mentioned ben folds i think ben folds is a good shout i like uh, i mean to be honest i haven't listened to the last few ben folds records but certainly all of ben folds five and the first couple of ben folds solo albums oh. i think are brilliant yeah. um it just never really grabbed me in the same way i was sort of sitting here going this is this is a good song yes this is a yeah. good peaceful afternoon is i was like this is a really good song Love, really lovely good. song yeah. love lovely song really catchy really melodic like you know again stick a pair of headphones in and whack that on yeah. and it just it just it would brighten up any day mm. you know it's just it feels so lush it's just a lovely um, tribute to his husband um and, mm. but i love there's, there's a line in it between sex and death and trying to trying to keep the kitchen clean remember wild roses bloom best and ruins forever after and that combination of domesticity and poetry feels like a real wainwright thing to do 
uh, that feels yeah. like a Wainwright trademark, you know. And uh, yeah, I, I really like stuff like that. You know, I think that's I think that's really mm. cool. It's a lovely, yeah, it's a lovely song. If if that had been written for me, poor, lovely stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry to bring you back to earth with a bump. Um, yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, it's clearly a, a very, very good song. I just found myself going, this is, I, I, I felt, um emotionally detached from the record and i don't really know why that is i kind of know what you mean i wonder if it's something to do with oh i want to be very careful you're gonna say my rampant homophobia no 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 i was going to say i wonder if it has something to that there is a camp quality to what rufus wainwright does i think it is restrained um but um I don't know if you agree with this, but I find it difficult to emotionally connect with musicals quite a lot of the time because they're so OTT. Not everyone feels that, you know, I've been to musicals with people and they've been weeping next to me. But for me, there's always a bit of a kind of invisible screen between the action that I'm watching and what's going on. Now, this isn't camp in the way that a musical is camp, but there is a campness to it. Um, And there's a campness to all, everything that Rufus Wainwright does. And I sometimes feel that that's a little bit of a block for me feeling an emotional connection to it. I mean, gosh, it just makes me, it just sounds like I'm gay bashing, doesn't it? Uh, but you no, know no, what I mean? I, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There is a sort of a slightly over, like the emotionally overtly lifted, like everything seems to be lifted up slightly more than maybe I think it, I don't want to say needs to be a flamboyance, um, maybe. It's yeah, it's maybe. I mean, it might be that. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. I just didn't find myself. I hadn't thought of it in that way. To be honest, Mm. Um, but I, I'm hypothesizing why I didn't connect with it in the same way as I would have connected with, say. Well, even the Dylan record, which isn't, you know, Mm. they are different. They are very different different records, but but they are different records. But I think they both have. I, they both kind of made me th- i look at them and i go well they kind of make me feel the same and that you sort of sit back and it's this very grand you know very um very uh it, it's they're, they're made by artists who people have such reverence for that you can't help but sort of sit back and at least at the very least be impressed with it mm, 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 do you know what mm. i mean and this kind of impressed me without me actually finding myself ever going oh i really want to listen to that i know what you uh, mean whereas the dylan album i was like this is you know surprisingly good and it's made me go there are a few songs in that that i will just carry on listening to because i think they're great i know and what I don't you mean. feel like there's really anything on here even though there's nothing that i think is bad at all on here but there's nothing that i really feel like i want to go back to hmm. i broadly agree with you i wouldn't quite go i mean there's definitely songs that i would quite like to go back to i think um but yeah i know what you mean there is a weird there's a slightly weird disconnect for me and obviously for you which i don't think everyone is going to feel i suppose is what i'm trying to say no, probably um not. but uh but you know god bless Rufus Wainwright for doing what he does because he is a very very creative creative individual Mm. you know as as far as I can see the quality of his records uh, certainly the three that I have heard are all of a very high quality this one included um of the three that I've heard and looking at the um track the, the 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 lengths of the other albums that he's done I do get the feeling that all of them are 
a shade too long. And this one I, I think is a shade too long. And I would have taken off some of the more lightweight tracks, I think I'm going to describe them as. Um, mm. Only only two or three of them, and I think that would have like tightened this album up brilliantly. And I, you know, it, it seems to me that that's a, a thing that he has with his career. Like all of his albums are a little bit too long. Certainly, what I mean, want one and want two are both. I think one's like fifty five minutes, and the other's like fifty eight minutes. And when that when those albums are good, they're really fucking good. But there are a few, you know, filler moments. But I suppose the brilliance with someone like Wainwright is from the records I've heard, even the filler moments, you, you listen to it and you go, Well, this is a really well composed, put together song. It's just I don't like it as much as the other ones, but you know. Um mm. Yeah, something to learn from Rufus. And we're not going to fall into that trap. So we're going to end this review right now because I have nothing else to say about it. Uh, Unfollow the Rules by Rufus Wainwright is out now. Right, okay, the next album, this actually comes out today. It's the debut album from Mother Vulture, the hotly tipped Bristolian rock band. Hotly tipped mainly by me, to be fair. Uh, It's called Doing It Live. Um, Why is that, Steve? It is a live album, essentially. A fully recorded live in the studio effort which makes sense because the only other time we've spoken about mother vulture on this podcast was after i saw them live and i was stunned at the absolutely fucking ferocious brilliant excellent superb live show you went bonkers for it you went they bonkers were for they it. were and are one of the most exciting live band live propositions that i have seen for many a year mm. and i stand by it I absolutely stand by that. So that kind of makes sense to me that they would try and put their debut album out with all the kind of bells and whistles taken off and with that raw, live, energetic show that they do, trying to capture that for their debut record. Good idea. Mm. That's a good idea Mm. on paper. It's like they were listening to a particularly prominent and (laughs) often angry journalist and podcaster, Mm. maybe. And they should. <laughs> should always listen to me. Uh, <laughs> um, just for a bit of clarity before we go into this, um, Renfrey, you have been listening to the SoundCloud MP3 version of this record. Uh, I, actually, I, have, I actually got a download of the MP3, but yes, I've been listening to it on MP3. Yes, yep. okay. Uh, I have been listening to the lovely vinyl version that was sent to me mm. by their manager, John O'Sullivan. Cheers, John. Um, so we'll see if that makes any difference to how we feel about the record um you suspect Renfrey, it might you and don't you it may do mm. it may do mm. um here's the thing with mother vulture um they're kind of a classic rock band on paper aren't they they're kind of a classic rock band they're kind of one of those bands that we don't really talk about because you and i find this retrograde this kind of retrospective and he said retrograde in a lot of cases, that's true. This kind of rival sons, massive wagons, bloody the Greta Van Fleet, that thing of trying to rehash 70s hard rock is not something that you and I have much time for. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Um, yes, I would. I would underline and embolden kinder though because yes this is kind of uh that i mean mm. just looked on their um about page on facebook and it says hectic blues punk with a live show so chaotic it will leave you with horrific injuries for fans of being happy achieving your dreams and not dying um that gives you an idea but hectic blues punk is a pretty good way to put it uh you could it is. yeah you could say you could 
I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a sort of Haggard Cat-esque vibe to it in a sense yep. as well. You know, it takes, it, it obviously takes influence from uh, things from the past, but but it does seem to give it a bit of a kick up the arse as well. Well, it certainly does give it a kick that, up the arse as well. And there are, I mean, you mentioned Haggard Cat, I'd throw in Goddamn, I'd throw yeah. in Black Spiders yeah. in terms of bands in the past decade who have taken that type of music and have made it feel fucking exciting yes and i think when we go all broadly there kind of classic rock is because most of those bands like the answer whoever they're just boring aren't they well we the don't temperance movement we don't want yeah boring. we don't want to put them in with the rival sons of the we don't mm. want to give the wrong impression um exactly so yes that's why we're kind of yeah stressing that. and i think broadly right this has far 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 too much energy too much uh, savagery, um, too much punk rock, too much full throttle and energy to really be, you know, put in with the very, very dregs of those type of bands. I think this has got shit. Like it's, it's got. Again, I mean, in, you can't quite, you can't see it, and I think seeing them plays a fucking big part in yeah. when you go like, oh my god, wow. But certainly, having heard the studio versions of a couple of these songs, having heard the studio versions of some of the stuff that they'd released previously, which I did think, cool, this is quite, you know, you're missing the mark. You're fair, you know, you're missing the mark of a fair while considering how great they were live. I didn't feel that about the kind of studio recordings that I'd heard. This is much closer to it. For me, this is much closer. I'm sure, yes, it, it is um, compared to the, uh, I mean, obviously I haven't seen the live show yet, so I can't say it's closer to the live show, but it certainly feels more of a sort of ragged, raw, energetic recording. Um, <clears throat> and I think them recording it live was a was a very good move. Um, the only thing is it doesn't live up to what you have told me about the live show for me. I thought this was very, very cool and there were bits of it that i was really really excited by um and there's a lot there's a lot of promise there but it's not quite at the when you came in or oh, whichever show it was and and, and talked to start a year wasn't it? Yeah, yeah talked about, about it february it's one of the most exciting things you'd seen for a long 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 time i don't think they've quite quite got that and i don't i don't know what they need to do to get that i mean let's let's be honest but get putting the feel and the um uh, the feeling that you get from watching a band live onto tape, very, very few people have managed to do it. It's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. I think this is a step in the right direction, but I don't think it's 100% there yet either. I would I would kind of broadly agree with that. I mean, I think there are some songs on it, like Mr. Jones, I think is fucking yeah. excellent. Mr. Jones, that yeah. is just like, when, when, they, when they go, I mean, I think when... I don't mind the kind of classic rock influences if they're like that and those bluesy influences. When they sound like the Stooges, when they sound like MC5, mm. right? Mm. I love that. Yeah. There are occasions where they veer slightly nearer to Russian Led Zeppelin, like a lot of those bands do. And I'm like, no, 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 pull back from that a little mm. bit mm. because you just kind of, that just makes it sag a little bit. Mm. Like song wise, I just think it makes it sag a little bit. When it gets a bit histrionic, I mean, We've spoken on the phone and I think we've we've both said vocally this is gonna split people, I think. Um I I what what I don't want is for Mother Vulture to go down the fucking 
rambling man route. And yeah. Go, because I remember, I remember a couple of like maybe the stuff. Yeah, about kind of 2013. Wilson came along, right? Full blast mm. fuckery by mm. Wilson, right? What a fucking great record! Mm. And that is again a kind of greasy blues punk record, right? And it was like this band could really do something great mm. with this. Good songs, sounded fucking excellent. Reminded me of shit like Cancer Bats. Reminded me, like, you know, this reminds me, like you say, of Haggard Cat, Heck as well. Yeah. It's got big doses of noise in it, like Heck would do. The Bronx, like, they kind of swagger like the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Even shit like the Datsuns, which I know is far more into that kind of garage rock thing, but at least, like, the Datsuns and the Hives are sort of a cooler version of it. First you know, Datsuns record is fucking great. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, there's loads of it reminds me of shit like that. Mm. And, and I'm the, like, I, I love all that stuff. Mm. Um, but, but, and Wilson had that. And then for whatever reason, they toured with fucking Hellstorm and all the kind of punk bits got tempered back. Muted. And they became more of a mute, you know, they got produced a bit nicer mm. and they started trying to write like more rock songs and those things that were just little elements before. And I think they're big. Those elements are bigger in Mother Vulture. Yeah don't do another Wilson and lean on that kind of classic rock thing and just become, you know, another ploddy. You'd be far more exciting. I think if they go, let's go heavier, let's go harder, let's go faster. Let's, you know, I, I, as much as I think they could probably go to something like rambling man, or they could play like what would have been high voltage festival back in the day. Mm. Um, or they could play like the, the, what's it called? The, the, Hammerfest and Canberra Sands. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, I think they could probably play that and go down quite well because they look and they have enough that is similar to the sort of bands those people like whilst being super duper fucking energetic. I actually think getting in with Haggard Cat and Sugar Horse yeah. and fucking all of the exciting new bands from now just strip a little time. All it needs, I think, is just the veneer of the kind of Zeppelin history rush kind of histrionic stuff, that real kind of classic rock thing. You strip that away. I think they'd be fucking absolutely brilliant. I mean, this is an exciting thing to listen to. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think, and particularly again for the vinyl, it bursts out the speakers. It rattles. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It rattles the room. The guitars sound they sound like they sound alive and it sounds like a band playing live. I mean, which is exciting to hear, which is exciting to hear because you don't hear that very often these days. Yeah. And, (laughs) and they sound fucking good live as well. They not only do they sound good live, they sound like they're doing live what they, what I saw them do live Mm. as well. Mm. I don't think they went, well, let's play it live, but no one's watching. So fuck it. We can kind of half ass it. Oh, I don't, it sounds like they were going crazy at all. Yeah. It sounds like they were going crazy. Yeah. 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 Which is Mm. wicked. And I, and I think the next challenge for them is to go, how do we keep that excitement level consistent? Like make it sound contemporary and fucking hard all the time and be able to do it in the studio. If they do that, they are going to be fucking, they're going to be like an unstoppable band. I think this is really fucking good. Like I, I hope I look back at that vinyl and go, look at this as a document of mm. like the first thing they did and, you know, look, look where they are now. I really hope that we get to do that. And I think they've got the potential to be fucking whatever they need to be. I just think like there's still a little bit of work to be done and that's fine. But what I would say is when you can go back to see a gig, and they're playing 
you have to go and see them. And I think listening to this record and hearing it will make you go, hmm, I'd like to see that live. But I still don't think it really prepares you for just how fucking insanely brilliant they are live. Definitely, definitely it made me want to see them live and uh, preferably sooner rather than later. Whether that's going to be possible in this current climate, I don't know. Um, But yes, there's definitely a ragged rawness uh, to it, which um, I think they should continue pursuing. And definitely I agree with you that it's kind of, at the moment, it's kind of teetering on the edge between that. Yeah, is it going to be the raw MC5? I think is a great shout. Is it going to be an MC5 thing or is it going to go the way of Rival Sons thing? Like, please, guys don't go down the rival <laughs> rival sun's route i think no. i think mother vulture should play the the hammer fest and the high voltage or the modern day equivalents where the rambling man fairs and stuff like that but i think when they do they should be a shot in the arm um and uh, and they should sure be, they sure they are uh, well they should be like s- not scared to alienate people almost you know um and then i think on top of that they should you know play they could play the arc tangents and the 2000 trees and stuff like that as well you know they can sit in both of those places but i think when i think they should be going out to scare people who go to rambling man fair to be totally honest i think that should be the objective um yeah i mean there's stuff like there's the bit in home sweet home which again comes straight after mr mm. jones and that little period there you're just like fuck this they they go full brutal in that do you know what i mean they go full just noise chaos destruction Mm. and you know if if they can if they can do that stooges thing fucking you know and just keep that level of intensity i think they just there's there's some bands where i think you go to spread your wings a bit yeah. you know get bring in more melody like try to be better songwriters and i don't think mother vulture need to do that i think they just need to go we need to be 100 percent intense all the fucking time and i think they'll be they'll be fucking great they'll be fucking great at that i certainly wouldn't want to um potentially later in the future discourage them from opening things up a little bit but certainly i think they need to keep that rawness in what they're doing all the time um but even even a song like sorry to cut him even a song like something like white guilt by the bronx yeah right which is yeah it's still a really intense song it's just kind of a ballad yes do you know what i mean but it's still like it's seething yes teetering on the brink isn't it still feels hard all the time i think that's that's um, a really good example i'm glad you said that actually because what what i was trying to say is i i wouldn't want to say to them never ever write ballads lads you know but if you are going to go down that territory white guilt would be a really good sort of foundation or template for like how you do that kind of thing but with some edge some rawness uh haggard cat um oh rational on the new uh record is yeah. i mean is it a ballad no but it, but it's a slow song which has punch and ah uh, it's a fucking amazing song it's one of my favorite songs of the year i think you know um and certainly yeah i think we're definitely both in agreement that we'd like to see them go down that route um this is this is the difficult bit um i, I do i do feel like it is necessary to mention this and you have skirted around it already a little bit and you have mentioned it i think vocally i I do think it's going to be a little bit marmite for people and and in my personal opinion uh i did struggle with the vocals it's really it's fucking horrible to do this to like uh especially small bands especially when you're just 
you know name checking one person and going yeah i'm not not as keen on on your bits um but i think i'd i'd like to say that georgie the vocalist can definitely sing that motherfucker can sing absolutely i think he needs a bit more power behind what he's doing and there's ways to do that there are ways to do that there's ways to concentrate on that but i do i feel it would be remiss if I didn't at least mention that, even though it feels like a really fucking cruel thing to do. And I apologize sincerely, um, but I do think it's important to, because I think at the moment, um, I, I think that element has to be stronger than it is at the moment, truthfully. And I say, I say it with pure fucking love because I think this band could be fucking incredible, but it does need that. Uh, it needs that front person, presence uh musically to be stronger um you've told me that uh as a as a presence live he's absolutely incredible yeah um, really great, and yeah. i'm i'm sure he is but but musically on record at the moment it just needs a bit more power sometimes i listen to it and i can hear the struggle in the vocals and um uh, yeah god i feel like a right cunt, i think yeah you know what I mean. it takes a while for, for people sometimes to find their voice i think he's got a naturally high register mm-hmm. which is going to be uh different in the type of stuff that we're sort of comparing them to when we talk about the bronx and you know yeah. and goddamn and yeah. black spiders and stuff like that like or you know cancer bats or every time i die you know all the hives or datsons like you know that those bands, they all those vocalists are completely different. But you know, bands with vocalists with higher who have higher registers do have a problem with people being like, "Oh, I don't like the vocals." Like that's yeah. that's a, Axel, a common Axel thing. Rose, from, whether it be example, Axl Rose yeah. or Perry Farrell yeah. or Be- Joey Belladonna, they're correct about Joey Belladonna yes, in that case. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so I I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's. There's work for everybody to do mm-hmm. to make them as good as I believe they they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not even could be, they are. Like, do you know what I mean? Well, but I, I think I'm, I'm be. I, I guess I'm pointing out the vocals specifically because obviously that's the that's the point that a lot of people. Yeah, it's a focal you, point. So yes, I totally enough. agree with you. Um, so, but you know, I don't want to like. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> just feels really mean. But you know, uh, I, I I I think for that reason, you kind of have to be even more on it if that makes sense as the focal point of the band and Mm. to be honest all it requires is like either it might even just be because they're super super young guys it might just be that uh georgie needs to grow into his voice a little bit or it might just be like he needs to like go from the gut a little bit more rather than the voice it might just be technique i don't really know it's difficult for me to say i'm not a singing tutor um but from the few sort of singing lessons and bits and pieces that I have had in my life, I can kind of tell that there's a strain there which shouldn't be there. Fair enough. I mean, overall, I would really like it if everyone went and listened to this band, especially if you are a fan of, um, you know, the bands that we've already been speaking about. I do think that this this record is definitely worth listening to. Oh yeah. And they are, and and they, and and you will get a, a good sense of how good they they are mm. but i don't i still don't think you will get the full whack of how fucking brilliant they are live but i think you know you get in a studio and then you you improve those songs you kind of trim the fat a little bit you go back you look at the 
uh, we did this and you know where, what exactly what sort of band do we definitely want to be i think if they go for that kind of like like you say let's fucking scare people let's not yeah. hold back at all let's be a really rollicking fucking you know let's be the fucking mc5 mm. then you know let's be the mc5 with perry farrell on vocals Oh, that sounds exciting that fuck, sounds great who the fuck doesn't want to see yeah, that yeah exactly i mean and and i think like i think they can do i think they can do that yeah i think the i think we've been crying out for a band who are basically like a proto rock band yeah with a mad with mad energy and um you know and like and real kind of want wanton abandon yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we are living in a world full of boring boring rock bands yeah and they could be the fucking antidote to all They absolutely bands. could and, be. And there's no, you know, there's no other band of their ilk, mm. of, of that ilk, I should say, not their ilk, but there's no other band of that ilk that I really think could fucking hold a candle to them if they get it spot on. Mm. This is good. This is a, you know, this is a, you know, this is a live, this album recorded live as a debut album done for fucking, for cost in like yeah. their home studio produced by themselves. Like... <laughs> do you know what i mean actually like, if it's not perfect it's not like we're going oh fuck that band you know that's a really really good point the diy aesthetic that they have going on is really admirable and a lot more bands could um learn from that kind of wicked diy aesthetic um i'm pretty confident that they will get where we want them to get but i think this is kind of us being cruel to be kind isn't it because we see i think both of us see this the potential in this band mm. but we're also going you you're not quite there yet um but if you just tighten up this tighten up that you will get there and like you you get like get lewis john's producing get, oh fuck yeah like get in touch i'll put you in touch with lewis john's we'll get we'll get that sorted like a hundred percent that would be incredible you know mm. um and maybe 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 that's what it is maybe um, if you have a producer who, I mean, this is uh, uh, this is dream talk, obviously, but can you imagine what a Ross Robinson could do with a band like this or something like that? I mean, the chances of that happening are quite yeah. slim, but, you know, it, it might just be a case of getting the right person in with, to the studio with it because there's clearly something there. Um, and some some of what's brilliant has been captured on on here, but it's not quite there yet. One final thing I will say, sometimes... Again, this band are very young, not to be patronising and blah, 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 but they are very, very young. And sometimes um, bands make ginormous leaps in very, very little time. A really, really good example, um, Loathe's debut album, The Cold Sun, um, showed loads of fucking promise and it was really interesting, but, you know, it was kind of a bit all over the place. I think you gave it a 7 out of 10 in Metal Hammer, which I think I is did, fair. Yeah. Their second album was is fucking off the scale brilliant i mean it's it's yep. very it's remains very very high in my personal top 20 of the year i'd be stunned if it doesn't stay in there somewhere by the end of the year it's one of the albums of the year in my opinion you know bands can make massive massive leaps in a very short amount of time i get a feeling mother vulture are going to do that and will be capable of doing that and it might even be on mm. the next release um mm. but there are things that need to be tweaked before that happens yeah but this as it is what you've got at the moment it's still definitely worth listening to 
doing it live by mother vulture go and listen to it and support this band and then you can say i was there at the start blah 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 blah. Uh, all right we've got one more record that we need to talk about before we move on to broken records and end the show and that comes from laura marling um the album's called song for our daughter it's seventh album from the brit folk artist a record written as a tribute to her fictional daughter Uh, apparently this record was inspired by maya angelou's 2009 book letter to my daughter um it is an opportunity according to marling for her to offer all of her confidences and affirmations that i found so difficult to provide in myself um whilst writing to the aforementioned fictional daughter so that in uh a nutshell with it being the kind of the the premise for the record already i feel interested in yeah in this record i think that's a great premise for a record. really interesting premise for a record um really really interesting yeah uh, incidentally did you listen to the adam buxton podcast where he had laura marling on no i never li- everyone goes on about the adam buxton podcast i never ever listened to it oh, that's I, great i probably should yeah you should i know i've, I've heard that um heard that. uh yeah uh adam buxton had laura marling on as a guest and yeah just to say that uh if you um well you should people should check it out it's very very good she even does a couple of songs uh from this album on their uh far more stripped back um versions of the songs i think she does the end of the affair and something else um and i partly mention it just because um for me this album is really 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 strong when it's at its most stripped back i don't know if you agree with that or not um but uh she has an amazing way with a couplet doesn't she she's one of these artists she's one of these artists we've talked about this quite a lot before but she's one of these artists who can say so much in in with very very little um th- mm. that song the end of the affair which i mentioned which may be my favorite song on the album uh there's a there's a i mean the chorus couplet uh you know it's about the end of an affair um but the chorus just says if you were mine i'd let you live your life and the kind mm. of sadness and bittersweetness of like she's really good at narrating from a point of view that is um flawed a flawed character this is a this is a char- yep. character who's having an affair with someone um but then at the same time there's a bit of sweetness to it because that character knows that the person they're having an affair with is better off with 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 them rather than their current lover and, and just sort of the nuances and the managing to sum that up in a sort of three odd minute song and the manner in which she does it, she's so um, uh, concise with her, with the way that she expresses these feelings. And it is really, really powerful at its best. Really powerful. Mm. I agree. I mean, I, as a, speaking of my kind of relationship with Laura Marlin, I really loved her second album, I Speak Because I Can, which is a big big record oh okay um uh i bought that for my mum and she loved it because as i mentioned a few times my mum really loves joni mitchell and there is so much about laura marlin i think that is uh kind of um comparable with joni mitchell in the way that she is a kind of has an effortlessly lovely voice 100 percent. that she is kind of beautifully concise as you said and is just kind of bewitchingly honest uh, yeah. and writes and and writes songs about things that you don't 
necessarily think anyone would ever think to write a song about hmm. do you know hmm. what i mean like hmm. um hmm. Uh, i mean for example blow by blow yeah. is a kind of tribute to paul mccartney yeah yeah um and it's just i mean musically you know i, I again i i i mean as well i know laura marlin gets quite a lot so, of shit for them can i just pop back to blow by blow quickly just if yeah, you're gonna go move on. on i love how blow by blow takes an account of something that most of us can't relate to but makes us sympathetic to that struggle anyway. So the lyrics, um, I don't know what else to say. Think I did my best. Mama's on the phone already talking to the press. Tell them that I'm doing fine. Underplay distress, working out a story. And there's so much to address. Most of us can't um, relate to having the press hound us. Uh, yeah. and uh, You know, um, because most of us aren't famous enough to, <laughs> for, for press to be hounding us. And yet you listen to that song and you 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 feel like you can empathise with it really strongly, even mm. though you and I can't mm. empathise with it. But I think that is a really, um, that's a gift, I think. I think that's a gift, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love that song. I love the fact that, you, yeah, it's a really good song. I mean, she, she gets a lot of shit for being like, as far as I'm aware, gets a lot of shit for being this kind of middle class folk bandwagoneering hopper, mm. Laura Marling. Um, but when you write songs of this caliber mm. and when you sound so luscious as the majority of this, well, now all of this album does, I just don't care. I don't care what, you know, find a fucking class or, you know, how, how true folk she is. Like, I just do not fucking care. Well, we, I think we first... really don't have time for that attitude, do we? I mean, we've, Absolutely we've discussed not, this no. with Frank Turner and stuff like that in the past. I mean, frankly, and, and black metal, and black metal, and yeah, death yeah. metal. I mean, yeah. there is no, I think that kind of attitude is fucking embarrassing. And if you think like along those lines, you should take a hard look at yourself and be like, it, yeah, it's yeah. classist. It's fucking stupid. Um, in, at the end of the day, the class system is a man-made construct. It doesn't fucking mean anything at the end of the day. We all have experiences. We all live lies. We all have problems and, and things that we're living through. And, um, you know, you can argue that some people's problems are bigger than others, but to our to ourselves, all of our problems are as big as everyone else's. Do you know what I mean? And also to say that you don't have the right to play a certain genre of music due to your, your background. Background in some direction. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, the first song, Alexandra, just gives you such um, such a feel for what you're going to get yes. immediately. It's just a very simple but heartfelt record. I mean, again, it's not doing anything particularly new. It's not doing anything particularly original. It just does reflective mood in a, mu a quiet, reflective moods in a music, in a simple, melodic musical format. And, you know, when you consider a song like Only the Strong. Oh, I love um, that song. And, and when you consider the kind of um, the inspiration for the record, that, you know, becomes more than just a sort of, oh, what a nice song. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It becomes just genuinely moving thing to listen to and i think laura marlin is you know what we were saying earlier about rena sawayama about being in touch with your identity yeah. being in touch with yourself like laura marlin is so clearly so deeply in touch with her own thoughts and feelings and stuff and it, it feels weird to even point that out because it should be such a 
universal thing in music but so many artists i listen to sometimes i, I just think I, I don't really feel like you know who you are mm. and i listen to this record and i'm like this is such a clear portrait yes of the person that made it it's fucking great i think I that's think. a great it's show. fucking great yeah mm. i really I love mean, the um the production on this record i mean it's produced by ethan johns who you know i mean ethan johns is just a fucking legend with this kind of thing um <laughs> shout out to me uh when i was doing my <laughs> when i was doing my ep which we will discuss more on next week um ethan johns was a massive uh shout for what i wanted to do and certainly only the strong i can actually hear the production style that i was going for uh on only the strong for example um whether i yeah. whether i got it or not it's up to you steve we'll find out next week um <laughs> but um you know certainly it's kind of the arrangement is it's incredibly subtle and restrained, um, but there's like these very subtle vocal ooze and a very, very restrained drum part, a little bit of twinkling piano here and there. It's kind of like chucking accoutrements on it without actually taking away mm. from what the song is, the, from yeah. the performance of the song, I suppose. And Ethan Johns does that very, mm. very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just a really, really good Laura Marlin record. I mean, again, Song for a Daughter... A song for our daughter is about her recent studies in psychoanalysis, apparently, um, and about preparing the next generation for things that she felt she wasn't ready for. I think that's just a very mature, nice, unusual thing to write a song about. This is just a really yeah. fucking nice, lovely record to be around. Well, it's also, and something that I think you're kind of touching on there, it's also an album, like the first time I listened to it, I was just, I was kind of like, oh, this is just a nice record but i didn't have loads more to say on it than that and then reading into it and discovering what the songs were about made me so much more invested and so much more interested in the songs so um you mentioned alexandra already which opens the record but that was inspired by leonard coward's song alexandra leaving and it's basically about laura marling's uh fascination with cohen's attitudes towards women and i think yeah i did i read that as well yeah, yeah. I, she said it's, it's a really unusual um to hear a man uh she said he writes about women in such a beautiful way it doesn't aggravate mm. me that he lived the way he wanted to live in fact i think it's very brave of people to live that way you know controversial view mm. but it's really but that mm. is an interesting thing to write a song about you know Definitely, um yeah. and i really I, I i think that in folk music certainly and broadly this is folk um that's what you want i mean folk is primarily about storytelling um and we all heard a million songs about having your heart broken and stuff like that there's nothing wrong with writing songs about heartbreak um but uh it's i just it's just a bit more interesting when you're writing songs which are a bit more deep and nuanced than mm. oh she stomped on my heart or he stomped on my heart or whatever you know yeah it is this is a very good record i really it's like called it song for our daughter yeah laura marlin who's usually very good what uh so you... i have to confess this is the only album of hers i've heard in full so oh. do you are you where should i go uh to hear oh mate i mean i i, I really i mean i know it was a it was a sort of the big hit one but i mean i have to say i speak because i can i think is okay fucking great so i'd go to that if i were you, Thank you i think much. it's a brilliant record there you go um song for our daughter by laura marlin is out now and that just leaves us with one more thing to talk about hippity hoppity hoppity hop it's broken <laughs> records um this week we're talking about standing in the spotlight by dd king released in march 1989 i couldn't find an exact release date it's the first solo album from dd king aka dd ramone from the ramones the former ramone bassist goes rap um 
Dini Ramon Renfrey, what a lunatic. If ever you've seen the end of the century uh, Ramones documentary, which, which I have, you should. I have. As it's Wonderful really documentary. Yeah. You will see that Dini Ramon is um, what <laughs> quite boring people like to call a bit of a character. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a bit. Yeah. He is a bit of a character, isn't he? Yeah. Dini Ramon. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, fascinating now, um, fascinating character uh, yeah a fascinating character so i mean i love the ramones i really do love the ramones mm-hmm. um but i have to say i'm really only interested in their musical output up until about 1982 yeah uh to be perfectly honest um they've got some cool songs after that but really mm-hmm. i've got had my sort of fill of the ramones by that but that's the peak time yeah. i think yeah. um and I'm not the only person, I think, who feels like that, especially at the time. In the late 80s, uh, with the stock of his band falling, Didi Ramone got into rap music during a stint in rehab. Um, he came out and released the standalone single Funky Man in 1987, which all of you listening to this need to hear. <laughs> it's not on this record, but Funky Man. Have you heard, did you, have you heard Funky heard Man, Funky Renfrew? Man. Yes, yes, yes. For 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 funky, um, it's really funny. Uh, it, it, it's it's so just. I mean, it sounds weird hearing it today, but I can only imagine being a punk rock fan and hearing Dee Dee Ramone going, oh, "I like to rock, I like to rap." Oh, now I'm gonna go down the shop, <laughs> like back back in 1987. What is he doing? <laughs> what is he doing? Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a I mean, fascinating a, a record. A great isn't it? one. This is a fascinating record. Oh, it really it's is. It's a fascinating uh, record. Um, so, Dee Dee Ramone, right. so enamored with rap music that he used to start playing live with the Ramones in full rap man regalia. Did you know <laughs> rap this? Rap man regalia. No, I didn't know this. No. Much to the annoyance of his bandmates. Now, mainly Johnny, I Dee believe, Dee, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was Johnny, uh, who, really who doesn't like Johnny, anyone yeah. stepping out of line. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? You're in the Ramones, and you've made a career out of wearing white t-shirts, jeans, and black leather black, jackets. Yeah, yeah. And up comes Didi Ramone in like gold bling chains, you know, gold bling chains, and a wife beater, <laughs> and a backwards baseball cap. And they're like, "No, mate, no, yeah. no." No. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they were annoyed and thus set in motion the departure of DD from the band. Warner Brothers gave DD a £25,000 advance to record his debut album. Yes. Surely on the strength of Funky Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I've got a little bit more background to that. Um, I mean, twenty-five. we have to bear in mind $25,000. I mean, God, this depressed me to a degree because can you imagine what? black peaks would do with twenty five thousand dollars can you imagine what palm reader would do with twenty five thousand dollars obviously speaking in 2020 twenty five thousand dollars to make a record is an insane amount of money but we should point Mm. out that in 1989 twenty five thousand dollars the producer of this record daniel ray and i'll be going back to him quite a bit um described that as lunch money uh Mm. uh, and, and warner brothers effectively people were you know people at warner were really really um felt very protective over dd i think most people felt really protective over dd and you can kind of see that when you see end of the century end of a century um Mm. and basically they wanted to give him something to do to occupy his time 
uh, between Ramones records after he got out of rehab because I think I th- yeah. the, the impression that I get is they were scared that he was going to go back and score you know uh score drugs if he if he wasn't occupied with something creative so i think that warner brothers effectively gave him 25 grand to make a record to distract him yes. that's the impression and I off and off he went to chunking studios where the likes of run dmc ll cool j and the beastie boys uh had all recorded recent material um the album so it's been said january has, has said that this is rather than being recorded like a hip-hop album using hip-hop production techniques it was basically recorded like a rock album uh much of the writing was done at ray's home away from the studio after the album had been worked on all day debbie harry came along to do some backing vocals on the record yeah thus lending it some much needed hip-hop cred um <laughs> she does sound great though she sounds great she does she sounds great on opening song mashed potato time yes yes the opening song she is does. called mashed potato time <laughs> So I can't find many reviews from the time. Um, All Music gave it three out of ten. Uh, it says, D.D. Ramone standing in the spotlight will go down in the annals of pop culture as one of the worst recordings of all time, which, of course, makes it one hell of a great collector's item. D.D. plums the depth of stupidity for this record musically, hip-hop done in some sort of off-rhythm samba beat and lyrically. And our old mate Robert Christigou oh, there he is. gave it a C, mm. but said... But Didi, we German-Americans believe in grammar. You're not the baddest rapper in Whitestone, Queens. You're the worst rapper in Whitestone, Queens. So Robert Criscu is not just a wanker. He's a grammar Nazi wanker as well. <laughs> uh, fuck off, mate. Um, there are plenty of user reviews from various different websites yeah. um, from kind of all music. I bet and, there are, yeah. Uh, sputnik and every other type of you know amazon whatever that you can find and most of them are kind of weirdly less than well i say weirdly are less than complimentary to the record but it has a lot of comparisons to stuff like the room by tommy wiseau the the movie Uh, a lot of kind of it's so bad that it's good rhetoric i mean he starts the record by going who wants to rock who wants to rap? It's like something from Sesame Street. It is. Um, it is. It's Sesame Street hip hop. It's Sesame Street hip hop. <laughs> yeah. The first lyric, it's time to rock. It's time to rap. It's time for the mashed potato attack. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. So it's insane. Um, what do we think about this? After two weeks of absolute joyless, horrible, cynical, terrible nasty dull boring music made by crap human beings god love fucking dd ramon for coming in and on like a, he feels like just a breath of fresh air yeah um this album i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna do a tiny bit more background just because i found a fantastic uh feature on this record on clairvoyant.com i don't know if you saw that um no, I didn't actually. They said, uh, they, I, I'm, I'm going to quote from it quite a lot just because I think they summed it up really, really nicely, actually. And I think that they have a similar view to us because we've spoken about this a little. It's very difficult for us to not speak about the broken records on the phone before we do them. We do try not to talk about the records before we do them. But when it comes to yeah. the broken records, it's usually like, oh my God, can you believe this? Um, but they open their feature saying, when an album is described as like nothing you've ever heard before, that usually means it's either a transcendent success or an unprecedented failure. Standing in the spotlight by Dee Dee King may be both. 
While it would be disingenuous to try and sell the record as objectively good, there's something undeniably compelling about it. 100% agree. Um, We both uh, were... You called me halfway through me listening to this record and I was almost in... I was in fits of giggles. I mean, I could barely speak to you properly for a, for a minute or so because I'd been listening to this yeah. album. Um, it's really, really lovely to get a record on broken records. You know, absolutely 100%. This is objectively not a good record. Objectively, this is a bad album. But the joy that it brought me, especially after Theory of a Dead Man, uh, Uncle Cracker, you know. It, I, I, I Methods of mayhem. Methods yeah. of mayhem, you know. I there's a weird part of me that loves this record even though it's terrible <laughs> and and it, I think it's because DD <laughs> well, okay DD cannot rap to save his life it, it, it it's kind of I mean there's the <laughs> in the first song he says I'm the master of hip hop um and, and <laughs> he has no flow he has no style he kind of sounds like your drunk, very white grandfather attempting to rap at a wedding. Um, he makes Anthony Kiedis sound like Killer Mike, you know. But it's so charming. It's so charming. His kind of um, false sense of grandeur, uh, the delusion of grandeur he has. It, it sometimes you know sometimes when often we talked about artists who have delusions of grandeur and quite quite in quite a uh, uh ferocious manner but with Didi, it's really i think it would be a really shitty thing to be like this is awful this is dreadful and just tear it apart do you know what i mean yeah. because it's it's so oh, charming i find it really hard to hate this record yeah same i mean it's clearly rubbish yes yes and it feels like it's been entirely conceived by the brain of a child. Do you know what I mean? It's got this kind of childlike yes. wonderment to it. Yes. Right. There's a, there's a song I mean, which is about learning to surf by a, mer- a mermaid teaching Dee Dee how to surf. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Which is called yes. which is called commotion in the ocean. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, like I said, we've covered some really horrible, calculated, cynical albums in this section of the show and this is just not one of them no, do you know what i mean all. this is not someone jumping on the hip-hop bandwagon he loves hip-hop i mean this is a sound if you're being a right harsh cunt you could say this is a sound of naivety and ignorance right yeah but even then there's nothing really to despise about this record it's just a bit naff yeah because dd ramon is a person yeah god love him it's a bit naff i mean it would be like a toddler coming up to me and going, I've drawn a picture of Bonjour and me going, she's got seven legs, you fucking idiot. And then ripping it up in front of it. Uh, you not going, oh, you did a picture of Bonjour. Oh, you did, yeah, I love Bonjour. Like, do you know what I mean? If my mate's kids came around and went, oh, look, they love Bonjour. They've drawn a picture of them. And me going, it doesn't look fuck all like her, you stupid little prick, right? I totally I'd be agree. A horrible, I'd be a horrible person to do that. Yeah. And I can't, you know, it's your dad rapping in it. I used to live in Berlin. Give me some skin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's wonderful. It's your dad dad rapping. That song, by the way, is called German Kid. Oh, yeah. And he he raps in German on that song as well, which is a thing to behold. That's incredible. I I mean, I didn't write any of that, but it it is like, Guten Morgen, Guten Tag. Ich bin ein Fraulein Tag. It's absolutely rubbish it's you know and it's shit like 
the crusher is surely about Rocky IV. He's just talking about how he doesn't want to... F- he's got to fight a Russian fighter. Go back to Russia. Go back home. Don't want to get a broken bone. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And he even name-checks... He even name-checks... Um, he even name-checks Funky Man yes. in that... Uh, I don't want to get hurt and sand. I uh, wish I just sung Funky Man. <laughs> what those are two options you either have a fight or do your original single like it's i mean there's a beautiful simplicity to this record it feels really innocent it's unbelievably dopey unbelievably dopey um you called it you on the phone of, earlier you called it beautifully naive which i think is a really wonderful yeah. phrase for this record unbelievably beautifully naive yeah. and it's got you know bits of doo-wop which are remains yeah. did before there are some like punk songs which is just but with him rapping over the yes. top of them. <laughs> yeah. and you know but the best the best ones are like too much to drink oh, where it's drink. like it's full full-blown rap and he's like i've had too much to drink and it's one pu- i mean <laughs> the amazing thing that no one dd you know rappers like you have to kind of mix up your flow a little bit because yeah. if it's not a flow it's not really a flow if you're not flowing yeah. but everything is i went to do something here <laughs> then i did something there <laughs> i do there there it's like you're like a tr- it's like a, like a train track it's not like rap it's not a flow it's like something falling down the stairs like you can't you can't do this i feel i mean, I, mean I feel like i understand hip-hop more than dd ramone did at the time i'm not i'm not claiming that he didn't love it i do think he genuinely loved it but you know oh yeah definitely and we've talked about how cack-handed i am when i come to hip-hop quite a lot i mean i'm beginning to learn but i'd still you know kind of there are parts on this record where i go i think i could have done a better job of that and i'm i'm no run dmc you know um oh man yeah um there are there's some lovely moments on it. Um, Baby doll, I thought was really sweet actually. A mm. ballad about yeah. Dee Dee's wife, um, and yeah. he doesn't do too much of the rapidy raps on that. So I thought that was quite good. No. Um, I mean this 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 whole record. I mean actually that might have been made up for the bit in Funky Man where he says like I want to thank God or something. I've got a nice blonde bird in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, don't think that's God, mate. That's just someone feeling a bit sorry for you. But you know, fair play. You know, did, did you ever see that skit? Watch the sh- show. Is it um, Look Around You? Yeah, I'm rapping. Uh, I'm rapping. <laughs> rapping. I'm, rap- I'm rapping. I'm rap, rap, rapping. Yeah. So there's so Look Around You is like a kind of um, mock to- uh, Tomorrow's World kind of thing. Uh, was it yeah. late nineties, early noughties? Uh, it was sort of yeah. It's about two thousand five. 2004, yeah, Peter Serif, uh, Serif Aranovich is in it. Serif Aranovich. Thank you. And, um, oh God, there's a whole bunch of, uh, of Simon people. Pegg's in it, isn't he? There's a whole... Simon Pegg's in it a little bit. Yeah. A lot of people are in it. Uh, Rebecca Front. Yeah, Rebecca Front, well. yeah. That kind of crowd. It's really, really good if you've not seen it. And uh, yeah, they, they do this kind of skit. It's set in the 70s and they're talking about, oh, this new music called hip hop and then they a gentleman does, does a terrible terrible you know rap uh, and it's fucking hilarious i'm rapping i'm rapping i'm rap rap rapping the quality of this record is exactly the same quality as that sketch it's <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same and yet it is. and yet it is. it is so joyful it's joyful it's really it's just a lot it's a really lovely record <laughs> in a way i mean this is a couple of, a few weeks ago we did the william shatner record uh, the transformed man and that I think that was the only broken record that we said to people, you should probably 
listen to it because it's so like you will have never heard anything like it before. I am wholeheartedly asking every single one of you to listen to this album because I think it will bring you loads of joy. Um, it's just not very good. Um, I kind of mentioned the uh, Jamaican sled bob team, uh, brilliantly captured in Cool Runnings, the film Cool <laughs> yeah. Runnings. You know, it's that kind of like, oh, bless them for having a go kind of thing, you know? Um, and yeah, God bless you, Dee Dee. Like, it's absolutely... This isn't it. It's, he's, he's Eddie the Eagle Edwards. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. He yeah. can't really do this, yeah. but he's going to do it anyway. Yeah. And it's it's fucking it's fucking funny it's a funny like I, i'm not entirely convinced that he really believed he was like you know krs1 or anything do you know what i mean no. i think he just really liked it and went yeah i'm gonna do that that's, that's wicked i like this and then didn't really think about how that was gonna go down mm. uh if you like but yeah man i mean seriously this record is fucking funny and when it comes to putting it in the because it is, cr- I mean, the thing is, it's crap. <laughs> like, you know, it's naff. But it's just. Oh, there's just. The, I mean, there's just two. I don't know where to put this. I don't know where to put it either. I mean, let me just. I'm just going to read two things from the clairvoyant um, piece, which I really, really wanted to get in here. So these are both courtesy of Greg Gordon. Greg Gordon was the engineer on the record. Um, and he was talking about uh, Debbie Harry's involvement on it on uh, Mashed Potato Time. And she does a bit of backing vocals on German Kid as well um it's actually debbie harry's on it and chris oh damn who's the guitarist in blondie chris something or other i oh, fuck i can't remember um, at all but anyway no. greg gordon says debbie's vocals took maybe 15 minutes and chris played ride of the valkyries really slowly over german kid i remember him cracking up that it was going to work we did a crazy remix of that song with a lot of samples from the producers so we had dd rapping over springtime for hitler it was so outlandish and it exploded <laughs> and it exploded into a German boys choir. And the label was like, no way are we putting this out. That was the only time where we used traditional hip hop techniques. <laughs> I am dying to hear that. I am dying to hear Dee Dee Ramone rapping over springtime for Hitler. I am dying to oh. hear it. I really, really want to hear that badly. Can someone please re-release this record? Like, a, I don't know, like a 40th anniversary re-release or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that would and be just, good. just put that on as a bonus track because I am dying to hear that. Um, but finally, just to sum up the record, I mean, I think this is the last thing that Greg Gordon says in that feature, but I think this sums it up really, really nice, nicely. Uh, he said, making it was absolutely joyful. I feel really fortunate to make records and whatever feeling is in the room ends up going into the record. And that record was a positive support of somebody's life. DD wanting to do something better than go down the tubes. It was a good energy on that record, a very DD record. You can't call it the worst hip hop record of all time because I don't think it is a hip hop record. It's the best DD King rap record. I imagine when the Ramones came out, people thought it was the worst rock and roll record ever made. I mix Bring the Noise, often called the best hip hop record. If DD is the worst hip hop record, then I've got the spectrum covered. And I thought that was a really <laughs> nice sentiment and sums it yeah, up quite well, good. really. I think it sums it up mm. quite well. In terms of where do we put it? Fucking hell. Well, um, just to say as well, Dee Dee uh, left the Ramones shortly after the album, about yeah. six months after the album was released, embarked on a series of rather ill-fated projects, including playing with notorious asshole Gigi Allen oh, um, God, for a little yeah, bit. He also that, yeah. 
released four more solo albums up until the year 2000 and then died uh, sadly of a heroin overdose in 2002. Yeah. The only time he returned to stage with the Ramones was for their final ever show mm. in 1996. So it's, you know, a, a sort of sad end to, to Dee Dee Ramone. Oh, really sad. Um, yeah, really sad. Um, and it is, it is a shame. And I, and I just don't feel, I don't feel any kind of, hostility towards this record at all i just don't and like i say in terms of where to put it i mean sticking it with william shatner feels like the the place that it should go really they feel like kind of two peas in a pod remind me where shatner is steve i don't have it so in front of me. Sh- william shatner is just behind lauren hill's mtv 2.0 unplugged mm. and just in front of bush's black and white rainbows now we've got that little gap of bush the enemy dirty vegas viva brother mm. and theory of a dead man who are all just really Oof. bland Oof. really boring and i don't think we can put that in Absolutely there not. and then you've got stuff which is lauren hill liz fair lou reed lou reed and metallica bob dylan which do have some sort of mm. artistic merit to it mm. as much as i love Dee, Dee and i think this is good um it's not got a lot of artistic merit to it. And I think mm. putting it above stuff like Lulu mm. or Lauren Hill's MTV Unplugged feels <laughs> like a little bit too much. So um, I'm proposing, I actually prefer it to William Shatner's A Transform Man. I was going to so say I the would same put thing. It above, I would put it above Shatner's The Transform Man in between Shatner and Lauren Hill. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, the amount of joy that I got out, I, I think this is definitely the the best worst album we've done in in the sense of joy that you get out of it you know me, me you and i both have um are both think lulu's a better record than a lot of people give it credit for but there's nothing joyous about that record um no. this i just felt like i was having a brilliant time listening to it and you know it, yeah. it's funny you you said to me that um I asked for a little bit more time uh, to recording the show today because I wanted to uh, listen to a couple of records one more time. And you were like, I think I might go back to that D.D. King record just for fun. <laughs> and yeah. I think I might go back to it as well because I just yeah. think it's I mean, it, fucking in t- hilarious. In terms, of, in terms of like stuff that I would listen to that we've got left from this, uh, this, this, this whole broken records thing, mm. I mean, there's plenty on self-portrait. I think if you're in the mood, you can probably listen to Lulu or Metal Machine music. There's some all right stuff on Liz Fair. Yeah. Certainly some good stuff on Lauren Hill's MTV yeah. Unplugged. Yeah. And I think the only other one, apart from occasionally if you want to go, oi, listen to William Shatner doing fucking whatever mad shit he's doing. <laughs> this would be one where you'd go, oh, I wouldn't even pick a bit out of this. I'd probably no, this say, play. It might be the only one where I've gone, yeah, you can play the whole thing yeah. and it's worth listening to. It's only 34 Mental. minutes. It's only 34 minutes. It's not very long um and uh you know it's never boring because it, i mean no. you're you're too busy laughing at it for it to be boring but you know it, it, it's <laughs> it's never boring uh and yeah you know like, like i say you know as soon as a song comes up about commotion to the ocean about swimming lessons with a mermaid you're just like or fighting a russian yeah, <laughs> rocky four rocky four the song it's just it's mad it's mad i, I it, it's it's a, a strange kind of genius it is um, and it needs to be added to. This is going to be hard to follow. Mm. I have picked one out of the hat, Renfrey. Okay. I'm going to turn around and see what it is now. Oh, <laughs> Mick Jagger's Primitive Cool. Oh, okay. So Mick Jagger goes into Broken Records along with many of his mates <laughs> yeah. next week. Um, he's mates with Uncle Cracker and uh, oh, Methods of Mayhem, isn't he? I'm pretty he sure. Um, so there you go. We'll be talking about Mick Jagger's Primitive Cool next week. We'll also be reviewing the albums from Creeper, Imperial Triumphant and more. Remember, from Sunday, you get a week's worth of podcasts. 
um special big one straight away on sunday on our actual birthday something very very exciting don't and say we don't give you return, nothing and then the return of gill uh rioters reviews on steggle mm. and on renfrey Deadman's solo album i tell my guitar the things i used to tell you come on yes you better, you better learn the title by the time we record it <laughs> I will do, but I didn't say the title of my fucking album, so why are you getting a fucking title in there as well? Um, and uh, our covers thing that we've been threatening to do for ages. Plus, go over to riotactpodcast.com and you can buy a Thy Art is Bonjour, um, Thy Cat is Bonjour, I should say, T-shirt, if you like Deathcore and Cats, which I do. I, so I'm going to do that right I now. I don't. She's actually just come downstairs. We've not had much Bonjour action since we've had the YouTube channel down. Yeah. She's just come down and she's going fucking berserk oh, right yeah. now. What is wrong with you? She's just running around like a fucking lunatic. <laughs> What's wrong? What's the problem here? Just shouting her mouth off. What's wrong? Anyway, we, I'm going to go and sort that out. <laughs> okay. Then she's going to do whatever point this I'm thing gonna is. Edit, I'm going to edit this, you fucker. Oh, right. That's quite <laughs> got a good point to it. All right. See you next week, everyone. Cheers.